Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And we are so excited today. We have a fantastic episode. We are going deep, deep down into the darkness that is the Underdark. And we have a fantastic guest. We have James Intracasso from the Tome Show with us today. He's going to be bringing all of his fantastic wisdom from his own brain about how we can build a Underdark for your own world and what kind of horrors you put into it. And Chris, uh, man, we talk about a lot of terrifying things. That we do. <laughs> which is what exactly you need to talk about when you talk about the Underdark. Yep. So uh, stay tuned for that, and we will, we will help you. If you want to build an Underdark for your world, this is a great episode to listen to. And James is really a, the, a great guest to have on. He's, he's built his own Underdark for his own world. It's pretty cool, too. Check out his his world-building blog. We'll put that in the show notes so you can... uh, We'll we'll say it during the interview, but we'll put it in the show notes so you can just go there and click on it and check that out. But before we jump into all the great talk about the Underdark, Chris, we have some five-star reviews to give some shout-outs to. And the first one is entitled Best DM Podcast, which is... Thank you. That's that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And it's by DM Shepard. And DM Shepard writes, you guys are the best and have not found a more inspirational and informative D&D podcast to date. Keep it up, keep it going, and thank you. No problem. Thank you so much, DM Shepard. We really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. The second one comes from Wrapped Up, and it says, ultra good five-star review. It says, I added the DMV to my repertoire of gaming podcasts a couple months ago, and it has quickly become my favorite. The ideas Chris and Mitch and their guests bring to the show each week seems seem boundless. I'm usually out running while listening. If only I could figure out how to take notes at the same time. Where can I get the Cliff Notes version? <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> so yeah, you shouldn't use the Cliff Notes, the Cliff Notes version of our podcast. Just listen to the whole thing. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Over and over and over again. <laughs> yep. Yep. We actually have some listeners that say they do that. I know, I know. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> our next review comes from Glitch Redder. And he Glitchredder, five-star review, obviously, says, great Adventure Time podcast episode. So you really like the Adventure Time episode. I'm awesome. Awesome. Glad you liked it. I like how you explain the problems with D&D players to let the other players go. Just great job. <laughs> thank you so much, Glitchredder, for that review. You are awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right. The next one that we have comes from Righteous Hero. It says, listen and level up as a DM. Five-star review. Uh, as a level zero DM who just began delving into the vast expanse of this D&D, I would gladly recommend the show to any and all of my peers. The valiant efforts that go into the creation of this podcast have provided me with an outlet for my limitless stores of imagination. The problem that I faced is, well, Dungeon Master's Block. <laughs> uh, I found myself unable to transfer my thoughts and ideas into necessary components needed to successfully run a great session. After listening to a number of these podcasts, I feel more empowered. It's as if I am an aspiring apprentice carefully gaining an XP and level simply by heeding the instructions and suggestions provided within the listenings. The podcasts are well managed with topics of converse and joyfully provoking nature. They truly reveal the high level mastery of dungeons involved. DM Mitch, DM Chris, you have my eternal gratitude. 
You have given me the tools and aspirations needed to lay down my ideals and share in the great art that is telling stories. Continue forth. Keep DMing the good fight. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a, that <laughs> that's is a, a good tagline. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> tagline. So thank you oh, for that no. five-star review. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, with those awesome reviews, let us head into story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. So last week with Dungeons and Dragons, Chris, we played in my campaign and we were once again in the maze and I know that you were kind of... <laughs> Just ready to be out of that maze. Oh, You've yeah. been in it for, I think we figure out this was the fourth was night the fourth in the maze. Night. Just simply in a dungeon. And you were also just like, I just want to know what's at the end of this maze. What is it leading towards? Why don't you tell us about what happened this night in the maze? Did you guys make it out? Are you still yes, stuck in it? Yes, but we did a lot more traveling before <laughs> we made it out of the yes. dungeon, like a lot. And we kind of finally just had the system down where it was like, okay, we're trying to find these stupid smiley faces, right? Because we think we know where <laughs> we're supposed to go. Come to find out, we didn't need them at all. We just were traveling around, traveling around, but Caleb would fly up in his hawk form as Groudhoof. Kruor would go with them or Rix would go with them up there. And we would point to an area and we just fly down, fly around the caverns till we got to where we thought we were looking, see what was there. Eventually... We made it through to the last place that we needed to get to for a gem. We came into this room, and it wasn't a very big room if I remember right. It was nope. just, there was something very odd about this room. There was a big golden face on the wall. It had a handlebar mustache, a had a little goatee, face, you would almost a say. glittering <laughs> gold face on the wall of this of this place. And so we were sitting there, and it's frowning, right? It's not making any, like, it doesn't move. Like, we try to talk to it, nothing happens. And so we were like, okay, don't exactly know what's going on. And I think somebody tried to say something to it, and it kind of moved a little bit. And we're like, okay, that's good. Like, we know it's, we know <laughs> it moves, not just something here, on yeah. the wall. Something's happening here. And so Caleb went up, and we were like, okay, Caleb, maybe try and tickle his nose or something like that. See if you can get him to sneeze out a gem or something, right? And so he did that, and he kind of, like, twitched a little bit, kind of laughed a little bit. Oh, he didn't and, laugh. He didn't was, laugh. Oh, he didn't <laughs> just, laugh. He just twitched. He, twitched, he was kind of like get get off of me right caleb was like well i'm gonna go in his nose see if that makes any difference so he flies up and i was kind of like i i feel like i know what's supposed to happen here because he like moves and he kind of like smiled a little bit when you tickled his nose and it went back to frowning face i was like okay I wonder if we have to make him laugh. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm like, I was, I was like, okay, maybe Mitch is just gonna be a real jerk here, and like we have to come up with some really like funny joke that he's never heard before, like he's gonna have to laugh at. And I was just like, yeah, it might not be that hard. <laughs> Let me just try out with a simple knock knock joke. So I was like, knock knock, and the face said, "Who's there?" <laughs> I was like, boo, boo hoo. And I was like, boo-hoo, why are you crying? And the thing just started <laughs> laughing. Like, he just he just erupted oh. in, in laughter. And all of a sudden, I don't remember if it, like, shot out of his nose or came out of his yeah. mouth. I know Caleb, Caleb shot, shot out, out of his, his nose. nose. And the gem came out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, his gem came out of his mouth. And so we finally had this moment where we were like, oh, my gosh. Thank the gods we are done with this maze, <laughs> hopefully. We have all the gems. Let's get the heck out of here. And we knew... That the place that we had to get out, we thought we saw these big double doors at the other end. It wasn't very far away. It was like a couple turns away. We went there and it didn't look like where we came in. So we were like, thank goodness we finally made it to this spot. 
We walk into this room and there's this pedestal. I think it was at the top of the stairs, wasn't it? Or yep, was it, it was at the, the top of the stairs. Yep. It was at the top of the stairs. And on the top of the stairs, we see a gem. It's like a multicolored rainbow looking gem that's sitting on the pedestal. So one was already here. And I don't know what our problem was with this, but we were like, okay, we saw on the top of the yep. door too, we saw a bunch of holes, like where the gems would go. And so we were like, okay, Caleb, take one, fly it up there, try and put it in the hole. Didn't work in the first hole, so we had him fly it to all the other holes. Didn't end up working, <laughs> right? And so we came up with these crazy ideas. One was like, well, stack them all on a pyramid for some reason, like on the floor, and see if that works. See if they combine and they all have to be touching or whatever for it to work. And that didn't work. And we were like, okay, what the heck? Why isn't this working? <laughs> and in my mind, I was thinking when you said there was a gem on the pedestal, I thought it was like, it was standing upright like this was the last gem we needed, kind of like an egg holder type thing. Like it was sitting there in this. So I was like, okay, we probably can't put all of them on there. Maybe it's like, hey, you've made it all the way through. Here's this last gem for you. I was like, what the heck? Why isn't this working? And you were like, Chris, you were so close with something you said earlier. Like go back and figure out what you said. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like what the heck did I say? <laughs> I think it was Rick's was like, I put them all on the pedestal and see what happens. And sure enough, it wasn't like a single gem holder. It was like it was it was big enough that all of them could have fit on there, right? And so they all started. Did they like glow or they something? They all started like just that? floating, and they went to their appropriate holes in the. And one of the wall. holes was scratched out, like yeah, it wasn't it was there like anymore. Filled in, you could see that there was a hole there one time, but you guys didn't have to collect the gem for it, and it seems like it was filled in. Which mm -hmm. you guys are like I don't know what that's about, but okay. Yeah, well, the door is opening so <laughs> we might as well try and open it and so we opened the door and we ended up finally being able to leave this dungeon i can't say god forsaken dungeon <laughs> because it definitely wasn't god forsaken right. uh the gods were heavily yes. involved in this dungeon uh but we finally got to leave this dungeon and walk out and when we walked through it was just this you know you told us in this moment in time we all had this feeling of just peace and tranquility and serenity just flowing through our body. We walked out and we saw this just plain, like it was just this this field of flowing grass that we could see as far as the uh, as far as our as eyes. As green could see, as grass could be, as things. gold yeah. as like tall grass could be, just flowing in the wind. Yeah, yeah. And Kruor just finally said he was just like Ivana. Yeah, right. And like, if you remember, Ivana, we've made. If you remember, it. Yeah. you guys have been on this quest for the gods, and there was this poem where it was uh, basically it said, uh, "You have blessed Ivana." Right? No. Or bless bless Ivana, and Ivana will bless you. Is what it said. If you bless Ivana, Ivana will bless yeah. you. Yeah, and so a lot of you guys were like, "Who's Ivana?" Like, it's got to be this other god, right? It's got to be a person. And so right? then you all got there, and I said, "In your heart of hearts, you know it." And Kruor says, "Ivana out loud," and so you guys knew mm -hmm. this place that you had come to was Ivana. And so to your left, you saw this huge tree, like you guys had seen the elder tree before in Shemesh, that was huge, but this made it look like a little stick on the ground. You guys saw to your right this big crystal lake and this weird creature in the distance over the horizon moving. You couldn't tell what it was because there was like fog and stuff. And then ahead of you, you saw a mountain. And uh, there was two things that happened at this point. First, Rix's necklace, which is in the shape of a triangle, just went like an arrow towards the mountain. Like it's pulling on his chain mm -hmm. um, towards yeah. the mountain, like a like a magnet to this mountain. And then Groudhoof just took off. <laughs> so yeah, Groudhoof was just like, I see this tree. I know I'm called to this tree. 
I got to go to this tree. And we didn't really know why at this point in time, why he was being pulled that way. We didn't know why Ricks was being pulled the way he was going. We were just like, we're in this place. He must be a druid. Like he knows he has to go to the forest. Right. And so we started walking that way. As we started walking that way, Ricks's necklace started pulling harder and harder towards the direction of the mountain. And so eventually we were like, okay, something good is not going to happen. If, we kept going that way. And I guess we'll never know if he if he would have ended up getting decapitated in this place <laughs> because we finally find out what this place is. And it's basically like, we'll get to that in a little bit what it is. But we kept going this yeah. way. And, and you, guys we're flying, you guys weren't walking. You were flying because your creatures flying, that yeah, you our creatures finally came they back. turned into little statues that you could put in your backpack when you went into this maze type area and they came to life here. So now you're riding your Griffin again and mm-hmm. Grout and Ricks was flying on Grouthoof's back and his Puma was on the ground running alongside of him. So now you have your, your creatures back. So we, we started flying and all of a sudden, as we're going down this path towards the mountain, we see this dude just walking along the path. Like what in the world is going Like, there's somebody else here. We haven't seen anybody for a while. Who is this just walking along this path? And so we fly down and we start talking to him and we all, I don't remember if he introduced himself or we just all realized it at I some point I think most time. of you realized it, but like, yeah. then eventually like, what's your name, sir? And yeah, he what's was your like, name, I am sir? the dweller on the horizon, the far traveler, but some people just call me Farley. <laughs> yeah. And so we got to spend a romantic evening with Farlang at his <laughs> cabin. It was really nice. And then we all asked him for a walking stick and he opened up a, a cupboard or something and Closet, just a whole bunch yeah. of walking sticks <laughs> fell out. So we we're like, sweet, we all get to take a walking stick of Farlang back. This is awesome, you know. And so we spent the night there and we ate a whole bunch of his food and, you know, we got up and we left the next morning, which it was a really cool moment for all of us to get to interact with a god. Yeah. And so we were starting to figure out a little bit more about this place. Like this might be a place where the gods hang out or at least maybe this might be Farlang's dwelling, yeah. you know, like this might be where he stays. And so. We kept going, we kept flying, and eventually I started feeling a pull, right? I started feeling a pull towards this little hobbit village, or not a little, like a huge hobbit village that I could see. Yeah, tons of hills, and you notice then, you eventually notice there's there's hobbit doors in these hills. Yeah, and I was like, so maybe we got to meet Farlang, maybe we'll get to meet Yandala, right? And so I flew down, and I kept feeling this pull, and I was like, maybe it's pulling me towards the god that I worship. And so we followed it, followed it, followed it came to this home, got inside, and you just said to me, you don't feel like ever leaving, yeah. right? Like, you, you feel, feel like, you like you're at home Yeah, here. this is your home. Right, and I was like, okay, I don't exactly know why that is. Your favorite right? pipe weed is by home. the fire. You have yep. your favorite food in the fridge. You have a nice couch by the fireplace. It just feels more at home than you've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And so the guys kind of had to, like, convince me to finally yeah. leave again because they were like, look, this is hurting Ricks. Like, we have to go. We have to figure out what this necklace because that was our mission, right? So we kept flying. We came to an abandoned city. Yeah. Desolate well, yeah, what city was there. About, and, what about the other hobbits in the Hobbit oh, village? Oh, yeah. The Hobbit village, nobody was yeah. there. Like, everywhere we looked, there was nobody. There was nothing. Like, nobody – it didn't look like anybody had ever even yeah. been here before, right? Like, it was just completely desolate. So we were like, that's really weird. We don't know why that is. Like, maybe it's just because nobody else has gotten through the maze. Like, that's why there's nobody here. Like, maybe it's just for heroes that make it through. And so we, we were like, okay, we, we got to keep going. Like, we got to figure out what else is in here. And so we kept flying, and we came to a city right at the base of the mountain, Torque felt the urge like he was like i feel like i belong here and right? then a little and bit so, of an argument popped out of the group a little bit of an argument <laughs> ensued between ricks and him it's like no we, ha- like, we have to go to the no top no more stops <laughs> yeah, no we more have stops. to keep going right 
so we kept going and we flew 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 and we just kept going and going up this mountain and it felt a little bit like mount olympus to me <laughs> like what we were going up and i don't know if that was any sort of like inspiration inspiration for you of this yeah but so we get to the top and all of a sudden rick's necklace just kind of like dies down we saw above the gate i think the image of the triangle there were some angels standing guard we like we asked them if we could go inside and they just kind of like ushered us in we were like this is really weird like they're just allowing us to go in here like i feel like this would not be a thing because the last time we saw angels they wanted to kill us anytime we tried (laughs) to climb over the wall right um so we get inside and all of a sudden we just are awestruck we're like we see these really tall people walking around. I believe they were glowing, right? They had like kind of this aura yeah, this around aura, them a little bit. Huge and but they're huge. You guys immediately knew that this was a these city gods, of gods. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so we're walking through, and we're just like, oh my gosh, we can like get to meet our god, right? Like we're walking around. We see like an arena to cord. We see some blacksmith areas. Like we just see all these cool things. Um, but we knew that we had to go up the stairs at the back part of the city, right? Like we up knew the, we had to, to go the to the summit this, of the mountain. There was this, yep, to the summit this of the mountain. forum-like area with these Roman-like mm-hmm. pillars like in a circle. Mm-hmm. And inside, you guys eventually get to it, and inside there's like a circular sand area in the middle, which you guys walk in the middle, and there are these 16 thrones, each with the pillar being the back of them. And there's 15 that are silver, and there's one golden throne with this golden skin god, which you later found out was Istis. There's all mm-hmm. the pantheon that you guys had found gems for, except there were two empty thrones, one of which you figured out was Bokob, um, and that he just wasn't there because Bokob is the uncaring god, and he just wasn't there. Yeah. Um, I think St. Cuthbert was pissed about it. He was just like, yeah, he's off. Yeah, he some, was. Yeah, he was pissed. He's like, he could never commit yeah, to anything, you can't, right? Like, he's yeah. just never here. And then there was another one that um, you guys asked, well, what about the other throne? Because you guys started talking to the gods, and they were, like, expecting you. And w- mm-hmm. I think it was you who asked about the two thrones. Cuthbert answered about the Bokob one, but you didn't get an mm-hmm. answer for the other one. And so you yeah. pried further, and what did you find out about that other one? It was the throne to the one known as the Betrayer. Yeah. Right? Like, and we got this story. So Nerul, it was known as the Betrayer. And what ended up happening was, uh, what we found out about this place is where it, it's where people go when they die, yeah. right? Like Ivana, you kind of got some inspiration or at least from they're heaven. Supposed and, to be, yeah. yeah, they're supposed to be here. You got your inspiration from heaven and Nirvana, right? Yeah. Like, this is where people are supposed to go when they die. Um, but nobody had ever showed up here because of what Nerul did. And so what we find out is he stole this gem, which was called the guiding light, right? And it's the thing that when people die, you know, they say they see light at the end of the tunnel. If you like, are a worthy is, person yep. to come to Ivana, yes, you, yep. you would see this This light. is the light that you would see at the end of the tunnel, the guiding light. Like, it's a real thing. And so Nerul ended up stealing it, and he brought it to the Damon world right yeah, that or the Damon place plane, that right? they called Damon the Damon plane yep. yeah yeah and so they gave it to this creature called the ancient one correct yes is what what he was called yeah but he placed he placed the curse I, I believe upon the plane that no god could go in there and retrieve the guiding light or otherwise they would die it's the a, instant it's they a came godless in here, realm right? now if a god goes to this place they die so Nerul gave it made a pact with him retreated and this creature that clearly isn't a god 
made this place inaccessible. So now they can't get this guiding light. And so we were told by the gods, like, hey, we can't go there, but we know four champions that can go there, (laughs) right? Like, this is what we called you to. You were smart enough to find it in the mountain to come to Ivana. You guys are smart enough to go and find this guiding light. And uh, so we got this whole speech about that, like how we were supposed to do it. And they said, you know, go off and prepare, make like if you have anything you need, go and make it like we have any basically anything you'll ever need here. So Caleb went off and did, you know, Grathoff went off and did some. He's creating some, some crafting cool for stuff, us. One yeah. of which we'll need to talk about the next story time because it's pretty important. But yeah. 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 And so we we went and theoretically did that. We told him to go home and do it like here. On, so we didn't waste like, time in at the, the real table. world. Yep. So we didn't waste hours upon hours like looking this stuff up and crafting it stuff. And then we came back and there was this moment in time where Pelor asks his daughter, I forget Mirish. her name. What Mirish, God of yeah. love. Uh are are you ready? Right. And so they they and we said yes. She said yes, that he gave her a hug and um was like I don't even remember what he said to her, but it was something he really, really heartfelt. Her, he whispered like, in her ear. Yeah, so he whispered something hear. in her ear. Yeah, and then she kind of just grabs us and says, "Are you guys ready?" And we're like, "Yeah, we're ready." And they opened up. They opened up a, 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 a portal in the into sky, the yeah, yeah a window in the to. sky to the world or to the plane of Damon. And as she's flying, we see her slowly start to disintegrate uh, and be destroyed, and we come out on the other side in the plane of Damon, and that's where we ended for the night yeah. was coming and seeing what we had had described to us as the world of Damon. It's this really weird looking eclectic world that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Why things yeah, are there the are like, they instead are. of there are like upside down mountains and the ground is floating like mountains, purplish like ash and yeah. there's faces that are built into the, like mm-hmm. the earth that are moving and like wailing. It's a weird place. Um, yeah. Basically I said, it's hard to describe <laughs> what you guys yeah. see as your players, like your characters. It's hard to describe what they're seeing, but so that's right. where like a death of a God that sacrificed herself for you guys. And you are now, then the last thing that happened was Rix's necklace. Once again, started pointing in a direction, hopefully leading you to the guiding light and to this ancient creature that you guys will have to figure out what, what it is. And you were told to kill it. So, yeah, um, that will hear. I hope, I hope magic works in this world because <laughs> otherwise, Caleb's screwed. That we'll have to hear about more in a future story time. Well, with that, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? So in this segment of the meet, we are going to be returning to our world building series, and we're going to be talking about the Underdark today, Uh, along with being able to talk about the awesomeness that is the Underdark. We have an awesome guest joining us today. We have James Intricasso from the tome show he's here today to talk with us about uh the underdark how you would build an underdark for your world we're going to look at the lore of the underdark uh as it is in dungeons and dragons in general james welcome to the show 
Hey, guys, thank you so much for having me. I love yeah. this podcast. Excited to be here. <laughs> thank you. We love yours, and we're, well, excited. we're excited to yes, have you. Exactly, exactly. So before we start off talking about the Underdark, we want to ask you a, a couple questions. So first of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, James? Sure, yeah. My name's James. I'm a 29-year-old uh, television writer and producer. I live in wow. Arlington, right outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, mm-hmm. I love role-playing games of all kinds. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm excited to be here. A big podcast junkie, and you guys are currently at the top of the list. Hey, that's good to hear. Those are all things we like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> TV shows, podcasts, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I'd say you're in a good company. Any TV shows that the, our listeners out there might recognize? <laughs> uh, so I'm actually, I write and produce uh, television promos. Um, so commercials for television shows. Uh, so I might have okay. o- oversold myself a little bit uh, at the beginning <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I do a lot of work for the channels that are here in D.C. Uh, right now, I do most of my work with the National Geographic channel. So I Very do nice. um, commercials commercials for nature specials and uh, undercover cop shows and all that kind of stuff <laughs> that they have on the channel right now. That's yeah. really cool. Nice. Don't undersell yourself at all, man. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I can't do that. Like, that's so cool. Commercials are sweet. That's the only reason I would ever think about watching the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, why don't you, we always ask this question of our guests, why don't you tell us, how did you first start getting into Dungeons & Dragons? So I'm the youngest child of three. And I have uh, an older brother, and he played D&D. And I guess I was about eight years old when he started playing. And I was very annoying and always had to tag along. (laughs) And uh, my mother always made him accept me into the things that he was doing. So he and his friends uh, taught me how to play uh, second edition Dungeons & Dragons. Um, That sounds very similar to my brother's story, why he's playing with (laughs) (laughs) us. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's definitely true. So, uh, you know, and, and since then I've kind of gotten hooked for life. So I played that, which second edition is really complicated if you're eight years old um, yes yeah <laughs> uh, and they basically told me what to roll and stuff and then i played uh, a game called the fantasy trip which is a d6 based role-playing game um and that was sort of the the first one that i really got into and learned the rules and how to build a character and stuff like that so yeah uh, man eight years old in second edition i, I Fifth edition is <laughs> difficult for eight years old, but second edition. Do you remember your first character? Yes. Uh, my first character was a halfling thief, um, which hey. is... Yeah, yeah. I love halfling thieves. <laughs> uh, and it's been my favorite race class combination since. So. Very you nice. should You should start a writer's guild in whatever world you play in. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Uh, do you remember his name, your first character's name? So I remember his name was Oda, because uh, I thought I was being really clever by taking Yoda and dropping the Y. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, was he green? Uh, <laughs> uh, he was, it wasn't allowed. It was asked, could he be green? But you tried. It should have been tried. Roto, Roto or something. <laughs> right, yeah. Pretty original, too. Gosh, that's awesome. So you, like we said, you are from the podcast, The Tome Show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast for those listeners who haven't heard of it, although I don't know how they haven't, because 
because you guys are almost 600 episodes in while we're only at like 40 something so <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the tome show so the tome show uh has really become a network of a bunch of different podcasts that all center around D news reviews and interviews so we take things like pieces of news and break them down so i host uh three different podcasts on the network um one is a weekly news show where we discuss the latest D news called the round table uh we get a bunch of panelists together we talk about the news and give our opinions and that kind of thing hopefully you'll see these two guys on the round table sometime yeah, soon there we go That'd be great uh, it's great because you don't have to do the editing i'll take care of the editing <laughs> online. that is so nice <laughs> we'll be on every week <laughs> <laughs> right yeah you'll just bring the dms block there uh <laughs> So uh, we do that, and then we do – I host a monthly podcast called Gamer to Gamer, and Gamer to Gamer uh, features an interview with a game designer or author in the industry, and we talk to them a little bit about what their background is playing games – kind of how their career has gone and sort of anything that they have to plug that they want to talk about. So Kenneth Height, who wrote Knight's Black Agents, is the next one coming up for that. And then I do a sort of sometimes bi-weekly. I co-host a podcast with a guy named Sam Dillon that's called The Bonus Action, and it's uh, all of the rules of 5th edition D&D explained one 15-minute podcast at a time. Um, so we, nice. you know, we'll tackle things like how does vision and light work or how does, uh, advantage and disadvantage work, that kind of thing. Um, so that's what's on there. There's a bunch of other podcasts. Uh, you know, there's a podcast hosted by a guy named Rudy Basso and his brother, Alex called D and D V and G where they review officially licensed Dungeons and Dragons video games. There's, uh, the, the Tome show is like the main show on the network. They do a ton of reviews and advice episodes and that kind of thing there's a book club there is an appendix n podcast where they go through the you know the appendix n of the very first edition of D, where gary gygax listed all of his inspirations and review those books so there's a ton of stuff on there there's a dm behind the dm screen kind of thing that happens where you know dms give tips and advice so it's got a bunch of stuff in general there's been three podcasts coming out a week from the feed <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you guys have a lot it's kind of hard to keep up with all of them <laughs> yeah yeah so how do you have time for all of this and a job <laughs> that's my question we thought we were busy <laughs> you, sound... you, just, you just don't sleep uh yeah <laughs> that's what you gotta do there's a lot of not sleeping and there's a lot of uh you know there's a lot of hurried edits and, and things yeah. like that so luckily <laughs> The, the listeners are pretty forgiving. So it's yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, beyond the Tome Show, is there, or within the Tome Show, is there anything that you guys are working on right now, or you in particular are working on that you would like to also just tell us about the so that the listeners can go and check that out? Soon we're going to be announcing within the Tome Show actually that we're putting together an extra life uh, team. So we're going to play D and D for twenty four hours. Sounds like I'm going nice. to be DMing. Uh, and, uh, and even less sleep, <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, and raise some money. Um, so that'll be cool. Uh, we'll probably put that out as uh, a video or something. We definitely won't give you 24 hours of delirious d and <laughs> No, just, just go back and re-edit all 24 hours of the podcast and put it out there. <laughs> oh, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> That'll be out in three years. (laughs) And then I have a blog uh, that's all about uh, world building, specifically in 5th edition D&D. It's called World Builder Blog, and it's 
worldbuilderblog.me. Um, and ironically enough, I have a post about the Underdark uh, and go. about how to, how to build a great Underdark and, and what my world's Underdark looks like. Um, and we're expecting to hear some wisdom from you today <laughs> on that very subject so yeah go check that out that's perfect for this podcast series if you are building your own world don't just listen to us talk about it go and check out that blog that'll be awesome for you as you build your own homebrew world okay uh, i told you that we had one special question for you <laughs> and here it is uh if you for one Smile. week of You're your life <laughs> had to be an underdark creature what would it be and why? So for one week of my one, life? One week of your regular life. You're not living in the Underdark, but you are that Underdark creature for one week. What would it I be hope and why? you pick what I want you to pick. <laughs> I mean, if I was going to be one thing, I would definitely be an illithid. Uh, because... I love them. Yeah, I mean, nobody's going to mess with you, right? You've yep. got a, an enormous 60-foot cone burst attack, and you can mm -hmm. read people's minds... And whenever you want to get away, you can plane shift. Uh, and, and that's my, that's really my big thing is that like, there's always a situation where I'm like, oh, I've been here a while. It's the perfect Irish goodbye. So. <laughs> I feel bad for your family. I feel like they're going to be thralls by the end of the week. <laughs> that hunger for brains is a little bit of a, uh, a terrible were made. consequence for uh, plane shifting. But right, that's awesome. Right. I love mind flayers. Uh, we had just had an episode on Mind Flayers in our monster, Raw Real Monsters episode. And, oh, man, they're so terrifying, but so <laughs> awesome. Love Mind Flayers. Exactly. So, Mitch, yeah. I'm going to turn the question back on you. What would you be if you oh. could be anything for a week? Chris, Don't I say Mind Flayers because, because <laughs> I, I know that you would say Mind Flayers. <laughs> no, I don't think I would because I... I I don't want to, like, turn up at the end of the week and my <laughs> wife has got her brain sucked out of her head. Not saying that that's what you want, James. Just saying I, I fear that, that I couldn't hold back from that. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, what would I be? You couldn't hold back from sucking your wife's brain out? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so concerned. You were so quick on this. Mind flare, bro. They need they need sustenance from brains. Chris, do you have an answer for this? I don't know. When we went to your under when we went to your underdark, you you uh you did the myconids really well. Mm. You, you had their they dances were, down. They you are sweet. I, I do like the myconids. Um they are pretty cool. I might have to go with myconids. I just my in my world the myconids are pretty chill until you like try and attack their village of of giant <laughs> mushrooms, which ended up in uh, in my underdark to be uh, giant, just giant mykonids that were okay with people living in them. So, yeah, mykonids are cool. They live a pretty sweet lifestyle. So, I'll choose the mykonids. What about you, Chris? Oh, dude, I'd totally be a rust monster. A ru <laughs> I totally, wa I totally want to be a jerk while I'm down there. Oh, Eat gosh. somebody's sword or weapons. Well, there's great. There's there's rust monsters and then there's annihilators. But we'll get. Oh, to I don't those care. Later. I don't care which one. Any of them. <laughs> I get to screw people over when they're down there. <laughs> All right, so let's let's start talking about the underdark and let's let's get into it and uh, talk about. So if you are building your own world and you want to build an underdark, I guess the first thing that we have to speak on is 
some people might be listening right now and go, what, what is the Underdark? <laughs> I don't even know what it is. They might not be familiar with it. If you are uh, familiar with it, you might be familiar with it from just D&D books in general. You might be familiar if you know the Dritz series. Uh, it goes into the Underdark. Uh, Dritz the Drow is from the Underdark. Uh, you might be familiar with it from games. Uh, I know that was where, where I got my first jumping into the Underdark was Baldur's Gate 2 back in the day. Fell in love with the Underdark just from playing around in that before I even really knew that the game I was playing was a Dungeons and Dragons game. Had no clue. But um, so what exactly is the Underdark? Yeah, so the the Underdark is something that uh, has been around for a really, really long time. I mean, most of the if you've read any of the Greyhawk books, um, I know I've read quite a few of the Greyhawk books. They they were in their descent into the depths of the earth was a was a good one. They had a if, if you're looking for any sort of uh, overview of what the Underdark is. That's a good. That's a good book to read. It shows you. I mean, they got Kuatoa in there. They have Drow in there. They have Beholders. They have a Lich. I mean, they have just tons of different races down there. They walk you through. They have a Rust monster in there. Um, so they walk you through a lot of the different creatures that are down in the Underdark. They also uh, show you ways how the, that you get into the Underdark, and they used uh, teleportation portals to get down there in Greyhawk. And so that was a way that they, it was introduced. But basically what it is is it's, a, it's an underground dungeon, essentially, that's spanning the whole length of the Earth. It can be many different parts. They can have different you know, cultures within, uh, under there. Um, it's just it's a very large, expansive space. It's basically a whole underground world underneath your world is essentially what it boils down to yeah i think that that idea is where it came from from gary gygax just basically deciding hey what what if we made a dungeon so big that it just expanded the entire length of the planet underground and thus underdark <laughs> that's yep. kind of how yep. it happened and that's that's basically the world's what biggest it is. mega dungeon yep it, and that's that's exactly what it is it's it it can be considered one giant dungeon under under the earth or a whole bunch of other dungeons that are just connected. And uh, when we say dungeons, we we're talking about caves, tunnels, uh, interconnected things that are formed naturally, things that are formed by the creatures that live there. But yeah, that's, that's exactly what the Underdark is. And it's under the earth and it's dark because it's so far from the surface and there are different layers. We'll talk about that a little later, but it is it is huge to say the least. I think one of the coolest things that I like about the Underdark too, and you experience this in a lot of the books, is that nothing is really the same that was above. So you won't see a lot no. of the same creatures that are above. You may have different representations of what they are. So you have races that look similar but they're not exactly the same. They have different properties. And so it's one of those things that if you've never had, like if you have players that you play with for a really, really long time, like five, 10 years, and you've never visited the Underdark, they've never visited the Underdark, and you want to shake things up a little bit, this is the place to go. This That and Underwater is one of the places <laughs> that you can go to really shake things up a little bit. So uh, if you haven't created an Underdark yet, you should, totally should, just to mess with your players. Yeah, it's totally alien, which is what I think the, the great thing is. You get to go to another plane without actually having to go yes. to another plane, right? Yes. Right. Um, and, and that is, like you were saying, the, the idea that all of the creatures are different, or some of the creatures look kind of like, you know, drow, look like elves, but they're definitely not elves, mm -hmm. you know? And they act very different than their surface counterparts do. And then there are these totally 
crazy things that can only be found in the underdark that have no right. correlation up on the surface um you know and and the landscape and everything is so inhospitable to adventurers and to surface creatures like if you live in the underdark right you're already in danger so if you're coming there from not living in the underdark like you're forget about yeah, it yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you know it's a great place to have a unsettling adventure for your yeah uh, party. oh yeah and like you said I, I like that alien aspect of so many things that it's alien as terrain it's alien with its creatures we've talked about in past episodes about how certain monsters are considered aberrations because they have that like alien type you don't know where their heart is you don't know where their lungs are <laughs> so you're not going to be able to sneak attack them well well Almost everything that lives in the Underdark, with the exception of things like Drow and Dwarger and things, the monsters there are going to be these aberration alien creatures that mm -hmm. you come upon them, and it's probably going to be the last thing you see, but you're going to have no idea what they are in general because they're just strange creatures. In fact, a lot of the creatures you find in the Underdark in other settings such as Spelljammer are literally aliens. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and some some origin stories of creatures from the Underdark is that they are aliens that have come to the planet and the Underdark is the only place that uh, they can truly thrive and survive in. So um, I do love that aspect. And like you said, I think one of the things with the Underdark that if you want a campaign go down in the underdark is that it is supposed to be just terrifying and the deeper you go it should be difficult it should not be an easy campaign it should be a difficult place to to travel to survive in and in this episode we'll talk about all the dangers because there are a lot of dangers beyond even just oh my gosh there's a beholder in front of me <laughs> <laughs> almost everything is a danger down yeah, here pretty much there's not too many things that we're gonna say uh in this episode that's gonna be like you know what's great about the underdark <laughs> this <laughs> well it's all great for being a dm yeah, but as far as being a player <laughs> nothing is great yeah so that's that's pretty much what the underdark is let's talk a little bit about to begin with just some of the races we've mentioned some of them before but let's talk a little bit about the races of the underdark and just give a brief we've got a brief list here we can talk about them as we kind of mention them and give a little bit of a description we're not going to get really too into these because uh, we can save them for future episodes to talk completely about but we'll, we'll talk a little bit about them so we we'll go down the list and then we can just talk about whichever ones we want to highlight but uh sort some races that live in the underdark and some of these themselves could be considered monsters but uh, for for right now we're we're putting them in races because these are known to be intelligent creatures so there are aboliths there are beholders there are darrow drow which are the dark elves Dwerger, the gray dwarves, dwarves themselves, as at least in the higher levels of the yeah. Underdark, Fomorians, Illithids or Mind Flayers, Kuatoa, Mykonins, my favorite fungus men, the Peck, and the Smurf Neblin, which are the deep gnomes. So these are these are a lot of the creatures that, as far as races, inherit the Underdark. And what are what are some of the races that you guys just know right off the top of your heads that have used in your campaigns before, maybe have put into your homebrew worlds as underdark races? I think the the drow are pretty obvious as far they're as like big staple. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of standard. Yeah, that I mean they're 
basically, whenever I picture the Underdark, I'm picturing a drow city. You oh, know? yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and they're horrifying. Like, that's the thing is, I think, certainly, mind flares will eat your brain and that kind of thing. But you get the feeling that drow are just evil like it's you know mind flayers gotta eat right they and what what do they eat? they eat brains so i can't yeah. really <laughs> hold it against them that they want to eat my brain um <laughs> but drow don't need That's, to eat yeah. my brain but they might anyway just because when you look yeah. at this list and you hear this list there are a few things in here that if i was going to run into something in the underdark i'll run into a smurf neblin mm-hmm. i'll run into a peck those are fine Almost everything else, it's just like, no, 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 I, I don't want to run into those. And I think that's a big <laughs> staple of the Underdark is, yeah, there are civilizations that live in the Underdark, but most of these uh, races that live in the Underdark, they're known to be evil, if not just chaotic evil, if not evil, that's just going to be evil for evil's sake. A lot of these races, one of their main parts of their economy runs by slavery. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) a lot of these races may go to the other races and try to make slaves out of them. Or if they're close to the surface, they'll at nighttime go to the surface world and steal some people from an unsuspecting village and then they're slaves or the entire village, depending on how big of a raiding party is. But a lot of these creatures, Drow, Dorger, Darrow, Kuatoa, Mind Flayers, <laughs> Beholders, these things are, they're supposed to be frightening, and a lot of them have a lot of crazy powers to make them frightening as well. One of one of the ones that I like uh, a lot are the Kuatoa. They're like fish, frog, humanoid creatures that live in the Underdark. And uh, it was like, in, in the book that I read, it, I got the sense that they were almost very, like, ritualistic in everything that they do. And so in this book, they had, like, they had these people that, uh, they had, like, their priests and priestesses and stuff like that. And what they ended up doing is they ended up, like, it was very grotesque. Like, they would skin people alive and, like, as as part of their ritual. Uh, it, it was just, it was really interesting to me that side of the aspect. And then at the same time, if they're not doing that, they're really friendly to some of the people that try to get across. Like there was like in the book, there was like this pixie who came back, who was like this goddess who they, she basically was in their prophecies that she would, I don't know exactly what it was, but she would, she was viewed as a, as a God to them. Right. And so this other pixie comes flying down and all the Kuatoa are like, Oh, Hey, you brought friends. Like you're really nice to us and stuff. And they like gave them passage. And then some other people came through and they gave them passage. They were like super nice to them. But if they were going to be used for ritual purposes, it was it was pretty scary. You better watch out, man. But they're <laughs> they're kind of fun. They're, I like Kuatoa a lot. That's awesome. And I have never used Kuatoa, uh, and now I really want to use them because <laughs> they uh, they're also pretty good with like poisons and stuff like that. Like uh, they they have that stuff kind of down pat too. So don't ever get stabbed by one of their spears or arrows or something like that because. You may wake up paralyzed and they may be doing something to you that you don't want to know about. <laughs> Another thing I think that's interesting, because Chris, we uh, we played in my world's Underdark, which I named the Dark Bellows. We played mm-hmm. in, in that for about three to four weeks because I wanted to make sure that you guys understood that yeah, it was did. not an yep. easy thing to go into the Underdark <laughs> and leave. <laughs> and you guys came across... It was two. You just have to drink potions that make you look <laughs> <Right>? like Dwarger. <laughs> well, yeah. So you guys came across a Dwarger city. You guys came across uh, Kuatoa. You guys came across all these like creatures in the Underdark, most of which that if they saw you just attacked you right away and were 
ready to kill you or enslave you. But a couple times you guys actually <laughs> were able to try and communicate with them. And do you remember what happened when you tried to communicate with most of these creatures? I know it wasn't good. Do you remember there was exactly a the... do you remember there was a language barrier for most most everything yeah, you I, guys? I met? remember that, yeah. Because I mean, like, one thing we've said is this world is alien. It's so removed from the surface that maybe if you come to a drow city that's on uh, like close to the surface they're probably going to have some people that speak common just so when they get slaves they can command them to do what they want them to do uh and teach them their language so that they can stop speaking common i almost imagine like drow and dwerger like speaking like the tongue of the surface races would almost be like a they hate the taste of that language on their <laughs> mouths you know uh, awesome. um, but yeah a lot of them speak like under common or terran uh, so they don't, a lot of these creatures speak a language that a lot of surface dwelling uh, races would understand. So if you are a group of, if you are running a campaign in a world and you want to make an Underdark, and so you have these adventurers come from the surface world to the Underdark, that's going to be a huge barrier in itself. Even for a race such as the Smurf Neblin that may be like, okay, after, I mean, they should be cautious because everything in the Underdark shouldn't be like, come on in. They should be really cautious <laughs> about what what comes into their, their settlements because everything's pretty much out to kill you. But that language barrier in itself is a really hard thing to get past. I remember you guys fought the Kuatoa, and there was a little, like, you guys try to talk with them, and it just reached this point, like, uh, yeah, they're going to kill us. We don't know what they're saying, but <laughs> yeah, we're pretty sure they're going to kill us, so we should start fighting them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love aberrations when we're going over this list. Aboliths uh, are huge for me, because oh, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but like the idea of an underground lake or an underground ocean, which they have in, in the Forgotten Realms, there's this underground sea, is terrifying. The sea itself is already terrifying. <laughs> and then you have underground sea. Right. No right. light, <laughs> dark water. Yeah, and then there are these giant intelligent fish that yeah. live in it that turn people into kind of undead zombie thralls. <laughs> it's just terrifying. It makes me think of the scene in uh, Independence Day where the guy, the alien, has the scientist guy, and he's, like, making his vocal cords move with his weird <laughs> tentacles. You guys know what I'm oh, talking yeah, about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like <laughs> Guy that. tickling your... T uh, yeah. Tickling your vo vocal <laughs> All cords. All these sound effects. Oh, uh, yeah, they're just... They're horrifying. Um, so, you know, so aboliths are something that uh, I use sparingly because I like them to be so alien and terrifying and it's not every day your adventurers are going across an underground sea um yeah, but when they not. do oh man <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, throw one of those in and then a couple of krakens you're good to go Forget about it yeah <laughs> and it's it's funny because you know aboliths mind flares beholders all of these things are just scary and a lot of them like want the same thing they want to they they all think that they are those three races think that they are <laughs> the cream of the crop they think they are the best that <laughs> the universe has to offer and that they should rule it and so these things don't get along because they they think the abolith goes mind flares and beholders forget them they're not that great and beholders do the same thing even amongst their own beholder races <laughs> like the beholders are like that beholder that type of beholder is not as good as me i'm the best beholder the beholders are just very <laughs> they just don't trust each other at all no <laughs> well and having we've talked about that on the beholder robert 
Mario Monsters episode, but the fact that they have two personalities going on in their head doesn't help Oof. that. But like all those races, like it's just terrible because I, I on the Mind Flayer episode I mentioned and somebody online loved it that I said Mind Flayers are squid Nazis basically. <laughs> and but all of these races, it's just like you know what would be terrifying in the underdark? <laughs> let's put just tunnels that you get lost in, lack of food, and let's just put a bunch of monsters that just resemble the worst humanity has offered Nazis. <laughs> the holders are Nazis, mind flares are Nazis, abolites are not they're all just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Did I, Mitch? Did I ever tell you one of the my favorite stories that I in that in that same book about the Underdark? What they did no. with the Beholder? Did I ever tell you this story? I don't think so. So in in this in this uh, book, what they did is there was a there was a Beholder that they came up against, and somebody cut a cut on the side of this Beholder, and they took one of the Drow arrows that they had found that was poisoned and stuck it inside of that cut, and oh. so it paralyzed it. They put a floating disc underneath this beholder and carried it around the Underdark with them. It gets better. It gets better. So they get to this spot. It gets to this spot where they're like, there's like this lich lord that's just controlling the drow and everything that's going on underneath the city. And they have to like fight this guy because they think he's like the big bad guy or whatever who's got their friends. And so they realize they're like powerless against this lich, right? Somebody climbs up on top of the beholder and pries the eyeball open. <laughs> so the anti-magic cone is shooting straight at the beholder because the thing's just, it's paralyzed. It's still conscious. It's just paralyzed. And so it, this lich all of a sudden can't do anything except for just sit there and die. <laughs> it was so I do funny. remember you told me that story. That is brilliant. Yeah. And I remember yeah. saying that I want to do that now to find a beholder. Yeah, it to, was. Uh... I was like, man, that is just ingenious. Like, yeah. The things you can do in the Underdark, too, are just crazy. That's those moments that, as a DM, we never expect something like that to happen with our players. But players <laughs> do that to us more often than not. And that's like a, all right, I suppose I will reward your creativity here because that is just pretty brilliant. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the, these are all crazy creatures that you can find in the Underdark that you can, if you are building your own world, uh, take these creatures and put them into your own version of the Underdark. I mean, there's there's Darrow, who I I look at Darrow and I read about Darrow, and I'm pretty much like, if you took a race of Albert Einsteins and put them into <laughs> <laughs> darkness for years and years, th that's exactly what the Darrow would look like, because that's exactly what they look like. And then there's just other creatures that you could create your own homebrew creatures. I know for my world's under dark the dark bellows i created these blind goblins that live completely by scent and sound and i was totally inspired by the oh gosh i don't remember their name they're these uh elves that have gone blind in skyrim uh, anybody remember those uh, things starts with an f starts it with does an f. start with an f um, but I'm, I'm not sure what they are off the top of my head but yeah I, I was inspired by that to make these underground blind goblins and you guys fought them when you were in uh, the Dark Bellows, and they were pretty terrifying, like, in numbers. Mm -hmm. And they would ride these giant underdark the spiders. The, the Falmer. Falmer. That's, That's what it is. That's yeah. it. Uh, yeah, you can create all these different kinds of homebrew races under in your underdark. Just one thing, one rule that you should live by is make them terrifying. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, and so in my world, I think one thing that people can do if they want to change it up, right, and make their Underdark a little different is to take these monsters that do have societies and high intelligence, and you can change their relationships 
to one another. So, like, uh, Mitch, you mentioned that all of the aberrations who want to rule the world because they think they're the best also all hate each other. And that's kind of what keeps them in check, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Is that they're killing each other. Beholders are killing themselves. (laughs) Yep. um, And that's the the whole reason they're not coming up out of the ground and, and killing people. So I was like, well, what if what if aberrations all had a common cause? And yeah. they all mm. wanted to work together. So, Dear, oh my gosh. Yeah. So in the Underdark of my world, Beholders and Ilithids and Aboliths all work together. That's um, terrifying. And so as a result, the Drow and the Dwerger and the Swerfnablin have sort of fortified themselves in these underground cities and have all these special aberrant defenses that they're you know they're fighting off um and that's so when you go into the underdark if you hit one of these places they're run like military complexes Mm -hmm. um and so that was one idea like to like okay it's simple the underdark is still the same it's still just as dangerous and you'll still run across the same creatures but they all have different relationships to one another so you might run across like three illithids and a beholder working yeah. together you know <laughs> an illithid riding a beholder <laughs> or an abolith like i was just thinking that crazy. yeah i like that a lot and you took that the idea and made those three we hate each other races because we think we're the best they they team up and then because of that in your world uh races like the smurf neblin and the dwerger and the drow who normally don't they don't get along either are now teaming up together because they need to <laughs> exactly of a need and so i i imagine i wonder what like going through a city that's a drow dwerger smurf neblin city would be like because i imagine like um even in their time of we're working together there's pro there probably fights between individuals all the time oh, and totally still compl- i mean they're not nice races except for smurf neblin they're kind of cool <laughs> uh, but like like and that that even goes to show that necessity like Smurf Nevelin and Drow teaming up together that in like the D and D lore uh, w- is not the case because Smurf Nevelin are scared out of their mind and if they are in the city they're slaves but that's a really interesting way to just you change one dynamic and then go what what are the ripple effects of this in my homebrew world I I like that idea too in the sense of if you're playing and you don't necessarily want to go to the underdark well what if the underdark comes to you comes to the surface and if abolith beholders and mind flares all team up and it doesn't even have to be like yeah we're buddies now but like we will team up and turn on each other when the opportunity is right and that could be all their mindset (laughs) like they all still hate each other but we'll work together to dominate this world and if they come to the surface and then you've got mind flayers riding on beholders, riding on abolists, like all that kind of stuff, like that is a terrifying campaign of like trying to save the world. Or if you play in a campaign setting that's the world has been taken over and maybe now you're in the midst of this, the surface world is all wars between the beholders and the mind flayers and the abolists have now controlled it, but now they're fighting and you're, caught in the middle of this that'd be really interesting or you could do a campaign where you are all beholders fighting for the beholder cause that'd be ridiculous or one of your friends is an illithid and you're the beholder and he's riding on the back of him that'd be pretty cool that's that's a really good point on like you could have all the same races in your world but to change the dynamic of those races or even go hey as crazy as it seems you know what in my world beholders are gonna be all lawful good 
Cool. It's your, it's your world. Go for it. How does that change the underdark in your world? How does that make things different? Like running into a beholder is amazing in your world. I, I didn't even think about hey, this. Here, hold my eye stock. I'll walk you through the underdark. I didn't even think about this. Yeah, right? I didn't just don't let it go off. Hop on. I'll give you a ride. I didn't even think about this, but there is a another race in the Underdark that we definitely should mention. And these are the race that you want to run into the most. And they're the Flumps. Uh, uh, of course. <laughs> the April Fool's <laughs> D&D monster, the Flump. But they're, I mean, I like that they took them and they put them into the 5th edition monster <laughs> manual. And they're just they like just these, sound nice. these like, they happy just sound jellyfish nice that like... If you meet them there and like as long as you're a good creature and they'll they can sense good. So if they sense evil, too, they'll run away from you. If they sense that you're good, they'll come towards you and be like, <laughs> we want to help you. Like, <laughs> that could be your and way out of the SpongeBob came running around. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Stay away from the left tunnel. That leads to beholders. What about the right one? That leads to aboliths. <laughs> well, OK, so you're telling us there's there is no right. chance. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a really good Stay point with us (laughs) let's talk a little bit about monsters of the underdark now some of the things that we already mentioned such as beholders and mind flares clearly and kuatoa as far as we think of monsters are monsters that you can meet in the underdark and fight but there are a bunch of monsters that aren't necessarily monsters that would be as civilized as these creatures and when we say civilized all we're saying is making civilizations because (laughs) (laughs) i don't think by our term civilized we're thinking about mind flares as being civilized but there's a ton of creatures that live in the underdark a couple that uh we have written down on our list are just the annihilator which is a pale rust monster i want to talk a little about those because they're terrifying you think rust monsters are terrifying we got giant maggots giant cockroaches chameleon bugbears lurkers hooked hars all consuming hunger portal drakes Kuatoa leviathans and elder brains so these are these are a couple creatures that you can find in the underdark uh what do you guys think about just that short list of monsters that can be found in the underdark i don't know why you would ever go that's the i'd rather (laughs) i i'd rather have a monster play with my vocal cords than face those what resources are down here that you need to go for (laughs) i mean yeah those are the and they are really the stuff of nightmares is right like that's that's what i think and when i think about the aboleth and beholder and illithid certainly they are too but like these are like like the elder brain it's there's nothing more horrifying than an elder yeah. brain it's very sci-fi too yeah they're also huge all of these things are really like essentially the annihilator the maggot the cockroach those are all giant bugs and yes. it gets worse from there like uh uh Kuotoa leviathan Come yeah. on, guys. Nobody wants to face that. You were talking about that sea and just that, like, I, I just picture that dark scene where you are surface-dwelling race going across this this huge expanse of water. All you got is one torch, and you're just, it's darkness, it's dark water, and then you start to see, you see a couple, like, spines in the dark water move across oh. the, like, surface. And that's the point where you know that it's it's all it's all over <laughs> because if this kuatoa thing raises up from the depths i mean you're a goner right how do you fight on a little rowboat like why or you, you hear like yeah or you hear like a buzzing sound <laughs> yeah. or something's like flying above you it's like this huge just mutated bug flying up there oh god <laughs> i'm a beautiful butterfly in the underdark 
<laughs> not a beautiful butterfly. So do you guys know about the Annihilators, the pale rust monsters that live in the Underdark? No, I don't know much about them. Yeah, I was going to say in name only. Yeah, so I was reading a little bit about these things. and So the rust monsters are terrifying. Uh, you sick them on players and everything metal that they have is you're, you're rolling the dice whether it's going to be there or not next turn because as soon as they touch it with their little feelers, it could just disintegrate. The Annihilators are this crossbreed of rust monsters. Basically, whoever thought of rust monsters, like, come on, man. And whoever thought of the Annihilators, like, you just, you took it too far. Because <laughs> the Annihilators do exactly what it sounds like they do. They're, they ha they're rust monsters with their feelers. Their antennae go out, and whatever they touch, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, it starts to disintegrate. So organic matter, metal, wood. Like, I, I remember, Chris, we fought a rust monster once, and you were a monk, and you're just like, I'm a monk. I can fight these rust monsters, no problem. Yeah, Not but I had brass knuckles, so yeah. it still ate them. Yeah, still, <laughs> but it was nothing compared to what the fighter would have had to deal no, with. No, yeah, yeah, that that's very true. And maybe, you know, we were we were in a spot where it was like every man for himself. Maybe I should have just run away and let like led them back. Because we were, we were playing evil characters. I totally yeah. should have just been like, Hey, buddy. Ruin their game. <laughs> Come over here a minute. <laughs> well, if, if you're fighting an annihilator, <laughs> there's there's no, I'm a monk or I'm a druid, and this thing <laughs> right. is not going to really bother me. It's uh, run away from this right now. <laughs> Hit it with a fireball spell if you can, but run. <laughs> yeah. That's horrifying. I, and I'm using it in my next campaign. So. Right, right. <laughs> Another one of these that I really liked were the portal drakes. And these are these stony, gray-skinned drake creatures. They resemble, and in their appearance, copper dragons, although they're nothing like the benevolent copper dragons. And so what their power is is that they can create portals in the air that they can jump through, which makes them terrifying. But they can also set up portals in, like, the area that they live in to be able to watch through. So they can just set up portals along a pathway and be somewhere completely different watching through this portal to see if any unsuspecting creatures walk down this way, hop in the portal, pop out, hop in other portals, attack you from behind. Just that idea is just terrifying to me as these small dragons living in the Underdark that can jump around in portals. Like, dragons are enough problems with themselves, but... <laughs> What is the all-consuming hunger? The worst slime you'll ever come up against. Yeah, it's a slime creature that is intelligent enough that it will... It hates all living things. And so all it lives it to do It doesn't matter is, what... Yeah, it's anything and everything. It's move around and eat anything that's living because it wants it to die and to be consumed and be part of itself. <sighs> the Underdark is just filled with monsters that are terrifying i mean chameleon bugbears bugbears that have tongues that can whip out and poison you and that they can change their their fur to look like the terrain around it like one of those okay whatever a bunch of those forget about it like being able to hide and rush your adventures there's other things that we didn't even mention such as like there's a lot of uh, basically in the D&D &D lore the underdark has these connections to other planes of existence mm -hmm. like the elemental planes and so you get a lot of elemental creatures that have made their way into the underdark you get some like 
uh, demonic and devil creatures that make their way into the Underdark. And I mean, if the, as if the Underdark wasn't already scary enough with all of these creatures, you <laughs> right. can throw all those. I mean, you walking through the Underdark, and I think it would be very appropriate to come across a Balor demon that, much like the scene in Lord of the Rings with the the Balrog, and we're we're so far underneath the surface. And you have a Balor demon come out, and mm -hmm. most parties, they would do exactly what they did in Lord of the Rings and run <laughs> and get the heck out of there as quick as they could. Gandalf was with them, and they ran, so... Right. <laughs> your level five character better start running. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and then also along the lines of monsters, right... Creatures can be infused with this underdark magic radiation called phaserus. Uh, and that means that a creature has been magically altered to harness the power of this radiation. Sometimes the creatures can like be deliberately created by the experimentation of some of the more intelligent or what we're calling civilized right races, the drow. <laughs> Quote unquote civilized. Quote unquote. <laughs> civilized by our standards. Exactly, exactly. So like your drow, your mind flares can take this radiation and put it into a creature. But then uh, you know, some other people are born that way just from being, you know, too close to an area of extreme exposure and it, you get covered in these weird sort of rune-like brands when you have this radiation-infused body uh, and you're one of these creatures. Um, it's, it's terrifying, and I just learned about it because it's going to be part of the Out of the Abyss uh, Rage of Demons storyline that Wizards is putting together, and that this radiation is kind of the reason why demon lords like all of them basically <laughs> enter the underdark so as if the underdark wasn't uh, scary enough now thanks to this radiation you're gonna have demon lords and this radiation is also what causes you to go mad in the adventure when you're there in the underdark are they entering to get this to or is this the substance that allows them to enter into the underdark so they have wizards hasn't said exactly but it sounds like this is what allows them to enter and it might be uh -huh. because um certain drow are calling the demon lords forth hmm. uh yeah yeah and they've also said that Lolf is is the only demon lord who is not a uh, part of the crew that's coming into the underdark um, and that there's a specific reason for that. So uh, I, I don't know. Probably what exactly because on. they're trying to do some foreshadowing for something else. That's right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you're gonna fight Lolf after that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was reading about uh, this Fairsris earlier, and it was interesting. In the Forgotten Realms, they talk about how the Drow use it like to perform experiments and stuff. But they also like it's involved in Drow city planning, which is really interesting to me. And I was like, well, why in the world is that? Like, why would anybody? Like, we run away from Chernobyl, right? Like, we don't want to go towards radiation, right? Yeah, you don't so, go towards so, the radiation. So why, why are the drow doing this all Hashtag of a sudden? Hashtag underdark. Yeah, right. For one, they're crazy, so they're going to go towards this stuff. But two, it also, like, it they build around large areas where they can sense this is because it prevents people from scrying into their city and seeing what they're doing. And it also prevents people from teleporting into their city because it's almost like if you don't know how to use magic around it, weird things will happen and it's risky to use magic around it. And so that's why they, I, I found that really interesting that they decided that this was a good thing to build around, you know? I mean, those are definitely benefits, especially to a race that's paranoid like the drow and hates everybody and thinks that everybody's out to get them. And 
yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to be able to stop teleporters and scrying. It's not just it's not just in those cities too, right? That it's it's risky to teleport. It's like anywhere is risky to teleport. So it's like yeah. it's like you can't just use the magical escape rope like in Pokemon to get out of a out of a dungeon. It's like you could you could come out with like arms missing or part of your arm could be in a different plane or you know it's it's these weird things that could happen because of this fares risk, you know? Yeah, I like this idea, and until I recently started reading some of the Underdark books, I didn't. I think I'd came across it before this fares but I hadn't really looked too much into it. And I don't think there's a lot on it yet, which is one reason I love the five e books is because uh, whether or not you play them or not, the books are fantastic for lore and just reading, and they're really expanding the lore, and I love it. But I want to know more about this radiation and. Like, uh, James, you were saying that it seems to be connected with demons coming into the Underdark, and I wonder if, like Chris, you said that they build their cities around it, if Drow are building it around so that they can communicate with chaos, with evil outsiders and such, and that makes their connection so that they can speak to these demons or these evil gods that they worship. Um, it, and I, w- I also want to know if it does like radiation in our world if it would create like sickness and like maybe make creatures die like sooner or yeah it's an interesting thing but as far as like the monsters like you were saying it creates those like that cracked runic look on them in the 3.5 book it had this like picture of a minotaur with that those it's cracked skin and there was like this pink substance like seeping out of it like in a smoke like form and and then we t- you talked about how they it can be from just being born that way, but it could also be from experiments. And I, I wonder if it would be an interesting plot twist to a campaign a DM ran that if the players get captured by Drow or Mind Flayers, if their captors try and make their players into Phaserous-infected creatures. And, I mean, it's... Once it's, again, it's Nazis, dropping they a capture people on, and experiment yeah. on them, right? In really weird <laughs> ways. In in a lot of ways, it would, it would make them cooler stat-wise, but are they going to be able to return to their old lives like they are if they've been infected by this radiation and now have these different powers but this different look as well? And I think that would be an interesting, scary plot twist to a... You're going into the Underdark campaign. Totally. Yeah, or something starts to happen. It, it doesn't have, like, immediate ramifications for spending a lot of time around it. But, like, years later, weird things will start happening, you know? And so maybe it's like you don't play with that character all along, but you have, like, some sort of epilogue night where all of a sudden you as the DM come up with something weird that happened to this character because they spent a, an, ex- an extended amount of time around this Fairsris stuff could be interesting Uh, yeah i would i mean it just presents so many cool possibilities to have a danger like this in the underdark that can transform people it contributes to the alien aspect and and that kind of thing so i think if you're thinking about creating your own underdark this is a great thing to bring in and it's also a thing that a lot of players don't know about so it'll be cool like in addition to the drow and the beholders that you're facing be aware that uh, there's also <laughs> this other crazy radiation thing that is going to turn you into a completely different person. Yes. You need to bring a D&D hazmat suit with you <laughs> to the right, Underdark. Right, exactly. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe it's something you have like potions or something like that that you have to <laughs> prevent it from happening. It could be one of those things that, you know, 5th edition is coming out with, you know, the next supplement that's going to be dealing more with Ferris Risk stuff. And so maybe you start building this and you just wait to see like 
what this stuff can actually do when it comes to you know its effects and stuff could be really cool to add and then just drop that phaserus template onto any of the monsters or races that we've already mentioned phaserus mind flayer and think of <laughs> all right it was terrifying <laughs> enough before now add that in oh my gosh just forget about it so oh, totally. well wouldn't the mind flayers think that it was like the worst thing like they might even try to kill that thing because they don't like the whole weird anomalies that happen within the mind flayers possibly <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe maybe but then maybe if they decide hey this makes us stronger and now we can go out and we can kill the aboliths maybe it's a good thing so yeah maybe they're viewed like six tentacle and mind then maybe the Abol or then maybe all the mind flayers die and the beholders go oh sweet they killed the aboliths for us and now they're all dying off themselves we win <laughs> uh, or imagine imagine if the drow infused uh, like a giant spider with this oh, thing yeah that's uh, <laughs> no one wants that no one uh, or any bug any bug infuser uh, it's a giant maggot a infused with, infused oh, with this too yeah right oh gosh <laughs> every everything you say under say any underdark thing and say a rust monster infused, infused and, with fairs oh, forget it all right let's move on <laughs> so next thing we want to talk about is the geology and the topography of the underdark um, basically, we've, we've said it before, but the Underdark is a linked network of several titanic cave systems. And one of the things that's really interesting to note about the Underdark is, and this is interesting to note for those of you who are building your own worlds, is a, a map of the Underdark is something that may be impossible to make. And the reason that is is because the terrain of the Underdark is ever-changing, be it collapsed tunnels, dried-out lakes, erosion, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions. The tunnels, the systems, the, the caves, they're always changing, disappearing, creating new ones. And I don't know, like, if, if you uh, were making your own Underdark in your world, would you take the time to to map it out? What would that look like if you did? What do you guys think? Uh, so I made an Underdark map for my world. Yeah, nice. Um, is that on your world building blog? It is, it is, yeah. Go check and it I, out. I made it so you can, it's, it's sort of overlapped with the world map. And, but so what I did was I didn't try to map any of the tunnels out at all. Uh, <laughs> I basically... <laughs> tried to decide like okay where are big land formations so um and the you know the underdark is mostly unexplored and unmapped i can see from your your map here that you have your world under mm -hmm. underneath your world map and there it says known underdark in exploration age so you have this explored area that they know of but then there's that question of, well, there's a lot more world out there. Where? <laughs> what about the rest of the Underdark? What dangers are out there? Right, exactly, exactly. So I think, like any kind of world, you kind of only map what you need, right? Why map right, stuff yeah. that your players aren't ever going to go to? And then what I did was I was like, okay, let me put where, in my case, fungi forests were. There are these big swaths of fungi forest in the world. Um, I put a river of lava in there called the path of fear and then i sort of put the different drow dwergers firth nablin cities where they are in relation to one another so that i could sort of count how far it takes to get from one place to the next on a hex and that was it because there's so many different tunnels and there's tunnels upon tunnels right it's a 3d yeah. world so 
you know, you, you'd have to map multiple systems and stuff, and that's just a pain in the butt, and it's ever-changing. Um, and so, you know, I basically, when my players are walking through the Underdark, I figure, okay, if you were walking overland, this is how many days it would take. But you're crawling through tunnels, and they're collapsed, and so it's going to take and you— And it's dark, so you're not exactly sure where you're going. Exactly. So it's going to take you at least twice as long, and then we'll— make some checks to figure out, hey, did you were you great at dungeoneering? Were you not? How many times did you get lost? That kind of thing. And we'll give or take some days depending on how those checks result. Um, rather than again trying to map out every single thing. Yeah, as you say, that's how that's how mine is too. I just have major like drow settlements or dwarger settlements mapped out. I have like where some beholder and abolith and illithid layers are and stuff. But as far as tunnels I, I don't have it like I don't have my whole world map out and then be like, OK, here's this tunnel. All right. Crap. There's an earthquake around this time. Got to erase <laughs> that. Move it. You know, it would just be a pain for me to do that. Um, but, you know, if, if I have players that are going to be in a specific part of it, sure, I'll go and map out some some tunnels and stuff like that that they might be able to get lost in um, at the time. I haven't had to do that yet. But, yeah, I think that's how that's how I as far as tunnels would do tunnels. Yeah, I would echo the same thing you guys were saying. I think that whenever I decide, OK, in this campaign, we're going to go to the Underdark and it'll be in. I jump through my timeline of my world a lot. And so this whole uh, the tunnels don't stay the same thing would be ridiculous for me to constantly <laughs> like create map. It would be so much work to like make different maps. And, but I would also not want to create one map and go, yeah, every tunnel stays the same, like for all time. Right. Because that's silly. Like that's not, that's not good world building. And so what I usually do is kind of, I, like you were saying, James, like, I create what I need for that campaign and I make note of where that was in the world, where that entrance to the Underdark was, where that city they came across, how, you know, where it is under what country, under what city, whatever it is, so that I know that that's where that was. And if I ever want to come back to that place in particular, I have those notes. And if I want to change it up and make that an abandoned city now that they come through, you can do that and make different tunnels. But yeah, uh, creating a whole network of tunnels is crazy, but creating like specific places that are in your underdark world is not a bad idea. It's something that you could definitely do. And I, I think you definitely need to go over to James's blog and check out what he did with the the overlapping because it is really a good idea to see how it just lines up with his world his underdark and where it is in his world well i think especially if you're dealing with things like underground lava rivers that's going to change <laughs> yeah. i mean that lava eats away at stone pretty quickly exactly. so uh i mean it is molten rock so i mean it's gonna it's gonna change things pretty quickly down there if you have one of those so yeah don't don't keep things the same i would i would imagine unless you have some sort of under dark magic that preserves the way that the under dark looks if it was like created by a god or something like that and it's always going to be preserved <laughs> the same or whatever yeah but other than that i would think that it would change a little bit yeah totally and you get to be lazy right so uh <laughs> any chance you have to be like well this is not going to make sense for me to do it uh, is, is a chance that I feel like I should take as a dungeon master. So <laughs> <laughs> and then too you much throw other in, stuff. 
You throw in one earthquake, and that could mean an entire <laughs> an entire huge civilization is gone now. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it could be a giant vat. It could be one of those huge seas in the Underdark that those Kuatoa Leviathans live in. And now, like, it could have connected this one Dwarger city and this one Drow city, and now that sea is underwater, or uh, like a huge, all rocks came down, and now it's impassable. And those two civilizations can't connect to each other, or they're gone too. Yeah. The Earth totally. is like, whatever world you're in is like one big anthill that your Earth can kick <laughs> over with one earthquake, right? It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and not awesome at the same time. So if you don't want to deal with that, don't put tectonic plates in your world. There's another interesting thing that happens in the Underdark, too, and it's it's kind of like what, you know, we talked in the Aquatic Campaigns episode. There's, like, layers that go with this thing. So much like how there's layers of the ocean, there's also different layers of the things that happen in the Underdark. And so you have things that are called the Upper Dark, the Middle Dark, and the Lower Dark. They're three different areas, very distinct from each other. And so you have you have some pretty interesting things that happen in each of them as well. You have, in the Upper Dark, it's like the surface area, so right below the surface to like three miles-ish down, right? So you have some pretty intelligent races there that they may interact with creatures from the surface. They may not. They may go up. And, you know, basically if if they're going to interact with the surface, you know, maybe besides lawful good dwarves or something like that, it might probably be for slaves or or raids or whatever because uh, most of the things you deal with in the Underdark are going to be generally evil. And they're, they're more recognizable races like dwarves and goblins and minotaurs and orcs. And so... If you think of, you know, creatures that you would find in the Lord of the Rings movie or whatever, like you, you think of the the goblins in Moria, you think of, you know, the dwarves that lived in Moria at one point in time. That's the type of creatures that you're going to find in the upper dark. And like you said, the creatures that are more recognizable as these underdark races like Drow and Dwarger, if they're settled at this point in the upper dark, it's usually for a reason. It's usually to be a place to to go to the surface to get slaves if it's a if it's a race that's okay with trading with the surface, that's a reason for them to be there too. So yeah, you have yeah, like you said, Mitch, you have those those types of creatures in the upper dark, and so you'll sign, you'll find drow sometimes up there. But the main place that I think you're going to find the drow are more likely to be in the middle dark area, which is like three miles to ten miles down uh, within your world. And so you have mostly the drow, the dwerger. You'll find mind flayers here, Kuatoa. These weird hooked horror creatures that are like part vulture, part beetle, part like all these just <laughs> yeah, that's weird, much what they are. weird. It's it's pretty much messed up. Uh, you'll find fomorians, which, if I'm not mistaken, are giants, right? Yeah, they're, they're giant they're creatures giants. that are really mutated, correct? Yeah, like I have a fomorian mini, and he has oh. one huge muscular arm and one arm that's like shriveled and decrepit, and he's got the same thing going on with his feet. Like he has one huge foot one tiny foot and his face has this one big eye one tiny eye they look really freakish and mutated i wonder if it's yeah. from the radiation <laughs> could be, could yeah. Be. yeah so you find those types of creatures in the middle dark you'd find creatures that are affected by like the phaserus a little bit here you know the the drow like we said settle around this stuff and so you see drow settlements start to pop up around here uh, and travel is very difficult uh it could be because you know you get down here there's a lot of moisture so things might be hard to navigate that way it's extremely dark down here depending on how you want your under dark to be it could be extremely cold here it could be extremely hot here so it takes time to travel through that type of stuff and it's also just extremely unknown right like it's 
you don't know what's down here. This is where the tunnels really start to mess with your mind, you know? Like, like in the in the upper dark, you might have creatures that are a little bit more civilized, like dwarves, and so you might be able to navigate their cities a little bit more because they might look fairly similar to a, a, an above-ground city a little bit, depending on what the lore is for your world. But then you get to the middle dark with creatures that you have no idea. And it talks about difficult. It's just because you have things like mind flares that make things difficult in here too. It's it's not only the tunnels that you have to start worrying about. It's races that absolutely hate everything about the surface world that you have to deal with down here as well. I think it's interesting to note that this is probably like uh, the area, James, you mentioned. When I think Underdark, I think of a drow city. Like right. I think this yeah. is what most people think of when they think of the Underdark is something in this middle dark range, drow cities, dwarger cities. you got mind flares and everything. This is where I think most of us in our Underdark whether we're playing a game or whatever it is, this is where most of us think about when we think about the Underdark. It's got the hits. Yeah, exactly. You know, the Underdark hits are all in the middle dark. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Underdark greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, that that's essentially what the middle dark composes itself of. And then you have where most of, like, the... Ta- I mean, the drow and everything are pretty terrible, but then you get to the the lower dark which is where you deal with things like aboliths and beholders and the crazy Albert Einstein little guys, the Darrow yes. that run around <laughs> down there. Uh, so you have creatures like that that are running around down there. You also have a severe lack of resources, whether it's because there's a lack of oxygen, plants can't get food down there that way. You also, there's, if you read about the Fairsris at all, like pl- some plants down there feed off of the Fairsris, like some of the fungus and some of the plants down there. So you might see those types of plants. So you're dealing with plants that might not be good to eat if you're down there, if you run out of food, because they might mutate your intestines and <laughs> they might come alive and you might have like a stomach walking around that like, ate its way out of you or whatever. Um, That's horrifying. It, yeah, you right? Just, That's what you just thought of that? To you. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that. Call, just call me HP Lovecraft. Right? <laughs> there, there we go. So you have that and then you have just travel is just nearly impossible mm-hmm. down here. One, because you can't see a darn thing, and it might be where the, like the, you might create something that the dark is just almost impenetrable because it's like so thick down here. You might also have it where like the fares risk it, you know, it, the lower you go, the more dense it gets. Something like that could be done in this world, and travel is almost impossible because you're dealing with things like aboliths and beholders <laughs> and crazy little Albert Einsteins called darrows. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, you just have things that immediately are going to devour you or control your brain or make you into a slave down there. So it's nearly impossible (laughs) uh, to travel through this area of the world. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really cool that I like to borrow from uh, Eberron, um, which is one of my favorite campaign settings, is when you get into the lower dark in Eberron, um, you're in another plane (laughs) and... (laughs) And when you're in that other plane, there's also a lot of just weird things that happen that don't have any make any sense. So, like, you might find yourself in a cavern that kind of looks like an M.C. Escher painting, um, <laughs> and and you can walk on the ceiling, and you can, uh, but you know, if you try to get to the ground, you take falling damage, like all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff like that. Um, and there's rivers of you know, like solid stone that flow through things that 
words that shouldn't go together in sentences, essentially <laughs> going together in sentences uh, when you're describing what the, the land formations and stuff are like in Eberron's Lower Dark. Uh, so that's a great thing to borrow because it, it's usually a heck of a journey just to get 10 miles below the ground. Yeah. And then uh, you can really mess with people's heads. And maybe maybe it's just because when you're down there, you're tripping on the radiation, right? Like you're, it's you're so crazy. thick down there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you're yeah. seeing stuff. Yeah, latch on to that alien thing that we've said throughout the show. The lower dark should be the most alien of all. And the radiation, like, like what creatures are created in this radiation what terrain is created because of it's so far down maybe it's more like exposed to that radiation down here and just go crazy in your own homebrewing of this this lower dark i feel like you could create nearly anything and put it down here and it would be okay yeah <laughs> any sort of messed up thing you've ever wanted to create just put it down there it'll it'll make sense yeah. okay it'll especially make sense. if like james was saying that if it either is or is connected straight to another plane of existence. Like the possibilities are just endless with what can I put down here? It, yeah. it could just be yeah. crazy. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden you're in hell, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. That's where you have ended up <laughs> <laughs> or literally. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's true. That's <laughs> and I, and doesn't that make a lot of sense for a fantasy world as well to like what's mm -hmm. deep deep what's what's below the lower dark well it's the <laughs> underworld <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well and it's funny because there are all kinds of things sort of at every layer in the underdark there are these um topographical hazards and uh features that you you have to be aware of if you are adventuring there and if you're a dm you don't want it to just be one tunnel after the next right you want your players to come up against some crazy stuff and that's where uh when i think about the lower dark i think about these abysses and abysses are enormous open spaces that are super deep, super wide. We're talking miles and miles. Um, you usually need to be able to fly to get past them. Uh, if there is a civilization near it, they might uh, carve out like a tiny ledge <laughs> that yeah, you have maybe. to try to <laughs> balance maybe, across. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or they might carve some like very treacherous stairs that go down into the abyss. Oh, I can just imagine you have these stairs or this bridge where part of it's broken and you have to ask your players to like oh, jump make across. A jump it check. To get there. Ugh. Would you would you be so mean if you're playing 3.5 to say make a balance and jump check because you're <laughs> on this little ledge and you've got to yeah, balance you make the while jump. jumping, and if you don't, if you don't pass both of them well we'll see what happens with well, that because like for long jump you have to move back at least 10 feet to make that jump so you're trying to make a balance check running across this then you make the jump check then you make another balance <laughs> check just to land i've always shied away as a dm from killing my players from oh you failed the jump check over a, <laughs> over like a fall although i i did scare you guys when you guys were in the underdark yeah, you did. with you did. jump over this uh small uh, gap that you have and it was we, like 10 feet or something like yeah, that i think and i think <laughs> two of you guys failed and i had them leave i had everybody else leave the room while i said i was gonna roll for falling damage and what they really did was they fell into a spider a huge spider web oh. and so a spider came on top of them and as soon as they fell hit them in the face with like a spider web so they couldn't talk so we had you guys at the top going 
are you okay down there? And nobody's answering. So you're like, they're, they're yeah. dead. <laughs> they're dead. Um, well, yeah, we didn't. No, we didn't make them jump. What we did is we had one person jump, tie a rope across, and yes. then they had to try and climb their way across. Yep. And two of them failed yeah. climbing across <laughs> on a rope. So it was like they're there, and you just like watch their fingers slip, and there's nothing you can do about that it. That is a difficult thing, though. It's like I like putting stuff like that into my world. Like, oh, the staircase is broken. You need to jump. But as the DM realize, what happens if just make sure you understand what happens if they don't pass it? Like, do they die? And are you as the DM and are they as the player going to be okay with? Yeah, my character died because I rolled one die and I failed on a jump check. So have maybe contingency plan there. Have that fear in their minds, but just realize that 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 is a for most players they're not going to be okay. They'll they might still be okay with like okay under, we understand DM there are these these terrible things that happen in the underdark or wherever but they might it just might be a terrible moment for them as a person right. like oh my i had my character that i worked so hard on one jump check and they're dead so exactly <laughs> yeah yeah and that's you know it, it's because that death doesn't feel earned yeah right yeah it exactly feels... <laughs> yeah so it, yeah. it all, you blame the dice more than you do i made i can live with this because i made a bad decision i had a choice in this i right. i gave it my all and it just didn't happen with a with yeah, one like, roll of the dice yeah. dice check, that's and I understand that some some players like that. Like that's a very old school D and D set of mind. Like roll the save or you're dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I mean, I guess you I guess the only way that I you know you could punish somebody for it is like you could walk around up for a mile and make it all the way around. Or you could just jump, like, 15 feet. Like, maybe there's just this weird, like, cavernous area where you could walk around it. There's a little ledge you could walk around. Or you could just jump it. What are you going to do? And they're like, I'm going to jump it. It's like, well, you didn't make it. Sorry, you had a choice to go the other way. But, yeah. So, James, you were talking about the abysses. Well, there's something that's very similar to the abyss. Um, it's They're called vaults. And they're, they're the same as the abyss, only they're accessible from the bottom. So, like, an abyss you would come at from the top and look down into this huge expanse. And a vault is something that you would walk into this place and it would just be there wouldn't be like a ceiling to this place it would just go up for miles and it could be miles wide and this is the place that i think of a lot of civilizations from the underdark building their their cities in these vaults like you go from tunnel to this vault and this is where the dwarger have built their city i think that's that's an important feature of underdarks are these vaults so you can build cities and civilizations yeah i mean that and that is a great way to you know think about like well where would we put the cities in these cramped spaces and stuff so you could put one at the bottom of an abyss uh, which is terrifying but it's yeah these vaults who would live down there that'd be terrifying (laughs) right exactly yeah you'd have adventurers constantly crashing down uh, as they tried to cross but yeah i mean these vaults are are awesome and it's also cool to think about if you were just adventuring and came across one that didn't have a city in it what could drop down from on high on you as you try to cross this miles wide expanse the answers are endless you know maybe at the top of these these vaults like some you know vault i always think of like a bank vault there's like some sort of rich or treasure or something inside it you know there's money inside of there i was thinking you know what if at the vault like a drow you know in order to become the next like leader of a drow city there's something you have to get from the top of the vault or something like that if the civilization is in there maybe you have to climb to the top or find a way to get to the top of this like miles high expanse uh to get like the scepter that now names you the king or something like that you know 
Yeah. That'd be interesting. It's an interesting feature that you can't like see the see the ceiling, see where it stops. When you were talking about that, I even thought of like, okay, so the Dwarger come across this vault in. They come, go down this tunnel, and they come across this vault, and they go, let's build a city here, and that would be the natural place to build a city. But without knowing what's above them, maybe what's above them is a horde of sleeping underdark dragons that at some point in their, their right. city's like history, they wake, they come down, and their city's destroyed because of this, which would be another thing. never knew it was there. Yeah, which would be another interesting thing to come across as players, a city that, oh, careful there's this city here in this vault we don't know who lives here and then you notice that there's scorch marks and like it looks like this city was destroyed a long time ago and you're wondering why it is and up up above (laughs) is the reason why this place didn't survive it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) on top of all of you know the abysses and the vaults they have to be connected by something right like they have to be connected by some sort of mode of transportation and the most common i would think i mean you could have like these different portals you could walk through and stuff like that but I think the most common thing you're going to run into are these things called cave systems. Like if you've ever been in a cave before, you know that there's like the main hallway to the cave and then there's other little caves that go to a different room. And, you know, if you've ever been to like mammoth caves or something, yeah, there's a lot of different tunnels that go from one <laughs> cavern to the other when you're inside of there. But they're like a, they're just a series of passages that may stretch for miles. They may go up. They may go down. They may change, you know, elevation a little bit. But they're most of them are like naturally formed you might have like a river running alongside you in this cavern mm-hmm. uh, or in this cave system so it might have been formed by a river you might be following you know james you said in your world you have the the river of lava that's going sure. there so you may be following a river of lava and so you get into a battle it's like well i could fight these guys or i could throw them in a river of lava you know what would i what would be cooler to do for and a story throw me in, so I better be and they could throw me into it you know exactly. so they're, they're formed they're formed these ways you know you have you have those which would be like living caves they they include streams of running water they're full of life they have fish they have civilizations living you know maybe just close to them and then you have these things that are dead or dry caves and they may be like barren wastelands where once a river did flow or once maybe a river of lava did flow (laughs) it's usually without food or water and so you may be going for like hundreds of miles in one of these caves and you run out of food at some point in time and it's like crap what am i going to do i'm not a plant that can survive on phasrus you know so so cave systems you know shouldn't be confused with tunnels because tunnels like if you think of cave systems as a network of community neighborhood roads right and and rooms and houses tunnels are like the highways they kind of connect different cave systems and other parts of the underdark but instead of having a lot of offshoots i mean sometimes a tunnel can have a lot of offshoots but usually they're just mile long tubes or square passages or however they're carved out that you have to walk down and it offers very little protection from predators um, so if you meet something in there, you better be ready to fight or you better be faster than it, uh, because you don't have a lot of options. And these, you know, uh, they can be naturally formed. I think we talked about, you know, water, rivers of lava, that kind of thing. Um, or, you know, the great thing about D&D is we've got purple worms. We've got umber hulks. The great part, the great part about d <laughs> yeah. is we have purple worms. <laughs> well, if you're a DM, the great part right, about d right, 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 right. <laughs> To watch uh, your players go, yeah, we'll pick this <laughs> tunnel. And in your mind, you're just like, 
uh, well, that tunnel has been made by a purple worm. Right. He might be back. Let me let me roll my uh, percentile dice. <laughs> I have this moment where it's like I see one of my players turning to another and saying, "Quick, give me that string and, and paperclip that you have," <laughs> like from uh, SpongeBob with the worm that they have that they have to roll oh, on top yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm it's... way ahead of you, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things that's great, is right. Like if you're moving through a tunnel that was formed by a river of lava how does that look different than the tunnel that was formed by the purple worm and you might be able to give your players some hints that like oh yeah this was formed by something big and nasty and not that long ago so uh look out because it might be coming back you know um and i think that's one of the big things about tunnels they're terrifying in this whole other way uh rather than you don't know what's around the next corner it's that Whatever you do find in the next corner, you are stuck in that tunnel with this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unless you are some creature like a chameleon bugbear that you can maybe (laughs) make yourself look like the walls around you. There's there's nowhere to hide in a tunnel. So a purple worm starts coming at you from that direction you're walking in. You don't have any option but to run and hope that you're faster than it. Which I don't think or you're faster going than to be. somebody else that's in your party. <laughs> but then, if you get eaten as the DM, if your your players all get eaten by a purple worm, then you can just go, "All right, well, the next uh, next time we play, we're gonna play from inside the purple worm and see how you guys get out." <laughs> the most fun. That's the yeah. most fun game. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the next thing that we want to talk about in the Underdark is these dungeons, and so we mentioned before that specifically the Underdark was created with this idea of being being a huge dungeon that spanned the entire world. And we as players and DMs for Dungeons & Dragons are very familiar with the term dungeon. But in the Underdark, the term dungeon is an excavated structure from the surrounding rock by intelligent creatures. And so a lot of times what happens is these intelligent races might create these dungeons as a way to link two natural features. In an example of this, if you are a dwarger race and you create a city in a vault well maybe that vault doesn't have access to water and so you build a dungeon that is a link between your vault and this underground lake these dungeons are very usually even if they're occupied or abandoned either way they're usually built to be places that they can defend themselves because if you're going to build a place that can link your your city to an underground lake, you're going to probably want to make sure that this place is well defended so that if something comes out of that underground lake to try and get to your city, that you can defend against it with this dungeon um, that you have built. And so along with that, being a dungeon that usually they're linked to a place that's very important. Well, is it abandoned that your players come across this or is it occupied? Both of them obviously could be bad things. If it's occupied, is it occupied by a race that is not going to want to let them in? And so they're going to it's going to create this dungeon crawl that your players have to go through. If it's abandoned, well, why is it abandoned? Is it abandoned because, well, something else came to live in this place that's even more dangerous than the intelligent race that lived there before or was it abandoned because well the lake that it was attached to is now dried out and so now there's no you're running into oh we thought that we'd be able to get water from here the map that i have of the underdark shows that there's a lake here but it's dried out and so now we're running into problems of uh oh we don't have water but that's that's what a dungeon is in the underdark so we also have these things in the underdark that is 
part of the topography, uh, which would be called gorges. And they're basically a cave that runs vertically rather than horizontally. It's not as big as an abyss. Um, it's a, definitely a heck of a lot smaller than that. Um, and usually there may be like a running river or something at the bottom. There may be a lake down at the bottom. And so some some civilizations, they may simply build a bridge to get over it. Uh, they may think it's not <laughs> worth the time to go all the way down there. Cry, cry them a river, build them a bridge. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's the Underdark slogan for Gorges. Right? <laughs> get that's over it, mind it. players. But so Gorges may also be like you could have this thing where maybe that's the only source of running water or any type of water that a civilization down there needs. So they may build steps that go down to it. And so either way, it, the, if if there's nothing, if there's no way to get down there, you may come across these things. And it's going to be treacherous to get across. Like there may be water at the bottom. So if you fall, you might hit water and be okay. But then it's one of those things that maybe down at the bottom of the scourge, there's some sort of creature that lives down there that you don't know. And so it, it might be a layer for an abolith or something like that down at the bottom of this gorge uh and you might not want to go down there. no thank you so, i search for a yeah, bridge no dm <laughs> yeah search for a bridge yeah gorges are not to be trusted yeah that's true you may go down to the bottom and something may want to gorge itself on you <laughs> that's what you did there yeah i mean speaking of aboliths they're also right these big placid lakes uh, that we were talking about a little bit because a lake can be like a small pool. You know, what we normally think of as like your, your lake at your community park right. around here. <laughs> right, right. Uh, to it only gets to four feet deep <laughs> right. and it's pure muck. Right, exactly. It's all abolith on the bottom. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> That's a terrifying park. <laughs> uh, here, kids, go play. Drow children are playing in this lake. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then you've got your hundreds of miles uh, wide lake, your lake superiors, your underground seas, if you will. Um, you know, it's one of the best ways to travel in the Underdark in that it's fast. Uh, if you can get a boat and you can yeah. get across, it's certainly better than like getting on your hands and knees and crawling through tunnels that are too small and running into giant spiders <laughs> and that kind of thing. Uh, of course, uh, you know, just like a tunnel that can get really cramped, the ceiling can come down and meet the lake or almost meet the lake and make it uh, impassable unless you're going to try to swim or you're an aquatic creature, that kind of thing. And if you are going to consider getting in the water, you should ask yourself, what is this water? Is it drinkable? Yes. You know, is it? Are, are you able to live off this? If that's the case, what societies and civilizations are near this body of water? Uh, yeah, is there some sort of slime that lives in the water that if you drink <laughs> it, like? Bleh. Yeah, exactly. Or are you maybe maybe you're gonna get like a weird disease that you can only get from drinking under dark water? Yes. Uh, you know that that turns you into a slime or, or something disgusting like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, now that you guys actually now that you guys brought that up. Uh, there is this thing called fool's water, and it is a slime that looks like a small spring of water, but mm. you can you can be tra tricked by this thing, and then if you like try to drink it, it like gives you acid damage, and it tries to stay with you and and kill you. And if you try to, this is the worst part about this. So if you try to wash it off with regular water, trying to wash up the slime with water causes an explosion that deals 3d six points of acid damage to every creature within 10 feet. So, I mean, that's the natural reaction, right? Oh, we got to find some real water and wash this off. But yeah, is this drinkable water? 
at all isn't even water. <laughs> right. Yeah. That. And by the way, fool's water was created by somebody who hates their players. Right. <laughs> oh, <Hates> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like the executioner's hood and the rust monster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <Total> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> somebody played with one too many power gamers. And that was, the <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that was their solution. Exactly. And the one role player went, I drink the water. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, and that's the you know, most lakes are going to be found in your upper dark, your middle dark. The lower dark, like we said, doesn't have a lot of resources. So most bodies of water uh, are huge. They become seas because they have nowhere to drain to. But they're also undrinkable seas, uh, which, you know, like most salty uh, mineral full bottles of water, uh, if you drink too much of them, you're actually going to become dehydrated. <laughs> this uh, is those so, terrible seas that you were talking about at the beginning, James. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. And you'll find your, your abolith buds down there in the lower dark chilling so, exactly. buds huh? yeah look buds. out for those yeah that's how i don't I know what kind of buds you hang out <laughs> with but well you know i'm gonna be a mind flare for a week so <laughs> that's, that's true that's true, true. Yep. <laughs> going along with all this talk about water well there's also rivers and we talked a little about how they are the best contributors to building the underdark by rivers creating these tunnels uh, but uh, something to note is that if you're going to come across a river in the Underdark is most rivers in the Underdark tend to be swift, violent, and chaotic in their windings so it's really hard to find a, a, a nice gentle stream that's like oh man what a we can take a break by this like little stream and drink from it and, and there's no peace in this place <laughs> drought, drought, little drow boys don't try to dr- wo- or woo drow women on these rivers <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Too many it's not like the notebook people it won't work <laughs> <laughs> they're they're treacherous they're swift uh crossing them would probably be a huge problem for your players if you want to put them into it and when i was thinking about this i also had this thought of swift violent chaotic in their windings well you better watch out for those underdark waterfalls if you do fall into it because that could be the end of you forever. I wasn't just thinking about waterfalls. You know, those are like, you'll probably die from a waterfall, but I'm thinking like if you see down the river a little ways and all it is is river, there's no like path next to you and you're just going and going and all of a sudden you see the ceiling start to get lower and lower and lower. It's like, what's going to happen? You're going to have to go underwater. Your boat's going to be crushed. You're going to be stuck. Like, (laughs) What are you going to do at that point? Or you know? it turns out to be a river that's going, that ends up going through a drow city or a mind flare city. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and right. it's like, oh, gosh, I don't want to be seen. But, oh, look, there they are. They see me. <laughs> or it's just a trick put on by a drow wizard down there who puts an illusion <laughs> of the ceiling getting lower and lower just right. to see what happens. <laughs> just to watch, just to watch people freak out a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the cool things that I like about the Underdark is like we have volcanoes on the surface where you see magma shoot out and everything like that, and it's a cool spectacle for people. In the Underdark, it might not be so uncommon to just see lava flowing. Like James, you said you had that lava flowing river. Genius, I love it. I'm probably gonna put some into my room because I hadn't <laughs> thought about that yet. Um, but you also have like you might get to see what under a volcano looks like. You may see a big you like. So it might be something you do a little bit of research on to figure out what does a volcano underground look like? How does this work? Um, so underdark volcanoes are not usually mountains. 
um, but they're more fissures of magma or chambers that vomit deadly rivers of lava into nearby caverns oh. without warning. And so can you just imagine like walking down this hallway and all of a sudden you just see this magma come shooting out from a cavern coming down at you? You're going down a tunnel and a purple worm is coming after you and you think that that's the scariest thing, but the scariest thing is what is that purple worm running from? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not coming after you. Yeah, it's not coming after you. It's secretly running away from the lava. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's no telling in the Underdark where there may or may not be volcanic activity. Its placement is really unpredictable. So that's that's another thing where if you're like what like a, like Drow might build a city upon one of these uh, phaserous areas that's really good and awesome. Uh, but what they don't know is that you know they may have found this huge vault, and the reason that the vault was there is that a volcano shot up a long time ago. Uh, and burned a scorch mark, like maybe the scorch marks were from a volcano and all the lava came back down and settled and, you know, created the floor that is where they live again. And possibly underneath them is this giant super volcano that's just waiting to erupt again. So it's like these 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 volcanoes are super unpredictable about where they are and what's going to happen. The, the river, like volcanoes, when they erupt, it's usually they're very fast paced. The rivers, they, they infiltrate into the into the caverns and so if it's a downhill cavern you just got lava flowing like crazy down those things uh, so they can be moving very very fast through that you might notice like if you've ever heard stories about volcanoes they smell sulfurous or they you know they smell of brimstone and sulfur it, you know you get the closer you get you might start smelling some of that stuff uh, geysers and hot springs might be something that you see uh, more recent activity of in an area I imagine Drow cities having geysers. That would be pretty, or like hot springs hot that Drow's are just, one, like, they're just chilling in there. Here it is. Here's the only time we're saying it. You know what's nice about the Underdark? <laughs> hot <Right>. springs. <laughs> right. Except right, for they're done. not, because it might mean there's that there's no, a super volcano under your city. <laughs> it uh, might not be so nice, because yeah. you might have a volcano erupt underneath you. So yeah. those, um, those are just some elements of the Underdark, the topography of the Underdark, things that you're going to run into in building an Underdark, like making the volcanoes, rivers, caverns, tunnels, all of that stuff. We're going to wrap things up, but before we do, there's just a couple last things. We just want to take a couple minutes just to note, if you're going to have an Underdark campaign... What are these dangers that you want your players to run into in the Underdark? And so, obviously, monsters. We've talked about the monsters already. Monsters are going to be huge. Other races are going to be huge because, like we said, a lot of them tend to be evil or at least unfriendly and skeptical of travelers. Going along with that, their slavery. You have to be worried about these Underdark races like trying to capture your players as slaves. Could be whether you're an underdark race or an above ground race. Totally. They're just out, they're just bent on making you a slave. Yeah. I think one of the common things that we don't, we probably, everybody should think about before they go down there is the fact that this is a large cavernous area and getting lost is a real possibility. Yes. Uh, even if you find a map, mm-hmm. like with the changing topography that we talked about, it may be invalid. It may be a year old map, but you don't know what's happened in the specific part you're going into and it may be completely invalid. You know, so you could easily, very easily get lost in this place. And you also have the lack of food and water down there because of lack of sunlight. Or, you know, as we talked about, the, the phaserus may do something to the plants. And the only plants you can <laughs> eat are made out of phaserus, and they'll inv- evolve your stomach into something that eats its way out of your and body. And the only plants you know? that grow in the Underdark anyway are fungus. So <laughs> you don't have a lot to yeah. choose from in right. the first place. So if you like, if you like fungus... 
you will be in heaven? You will <laughs> Yeah, well, and, you know, like, there's also the lack of shelter and your lack oh, yeah. of breathable air. Like, you might run into a place where you can't breathe at all because of gas and fumes or the, the oxygen is thinner and so you have depleted air. Um, you know, it's it's those are big concerns when you are traveling underground, uh, <laughs> uh, more so than traveling over world, yes. you know. Um, so those are things that you should take into account. And, you know, this might be when when somebody's doing a crawl through the Underdark, that might be when you ask your players to really track those resources and that kind of thing, because if they get mm -hmm. lost... Do you want to know, like, well, did you find a place to sleep? Do you have air to breathe? Do you have food and water? That kind of thing. Maybe it's even, like, you could create something interesting. Like, maybe you have a whole bunch of different fungus, uh, but only some of them that you, like, maybe you roll on a chart every time yeah. uh, for which type of <laughs> fungus they see, and they can choose whether to eat it or not. And maybe some of them are fine. Maybe some of them are fine to eat, and some of them, something really bad will start to happen, and that's all dependent on, <laughs> you know, the DM's dice. could be interesting. Speaking about that air, there's also parts of the Underdark that are filled with gases and fumes, and it can be something that is just an irritating gas. You will you can't help but cough or whatever your entire time you're in there, but it could be something even more dangerous, such as poisonous gases. And then, like we said with the Fool's Water, uh, I, as reading through books of the Underdark, some some of these DMs who made, some of these writers who made these Underdark uh, lore really like to put stuff that exploded in here. So right. uh, there is gas that literally will explode. So you could walk through an area, and it'd be if it has a stench, like then that gives you a warning. But what if it's this exploding gas that doesn't even have a smell to it and you're walking towards it with a torch because your players need oh, yeah. to see like i mean i guess if you want to be the dm that just kills your players that's a, that's a good way to do right, it right. Uh, that's just so mean <laughs> but yeah like you said well you have like natural gas pockets in there or something yeah. that like natural gas naturally is it doesn't have a scent right like it's like they put the sulfur scent in natural gas when you get it so you can tell when there's a leak in your house but you're just walking along and boom <laughs> there you go <laughs> there you go so beyond like just simply needing food water shelter and air uh, you also have to worry about diseases in the underdark oh, totally. um, things like lungrot which is a disease that most often strikes air breathing creatures that have been sealed inside ancient ruins so uh you know there's this other disease soft pox uh, and it makes your skin soft and tender and you're kind of bloated and gross. Uh, <laughs> essentially, if you have a natural armor bonus, it's reduced. Um, and uh, once your natural armor bonus reaches zero, which is already where it is for a lot of creatures, right? You take damage each day. That's um, horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So essentially, you are like a bloated, rotting corpse um, <laughs> when you yeah, get this. Yeah, I think of the zombie from, I think it was season two, the one that was caught in the well oh, of The Walking Dead. Exactly. Oh, that yeah. thing That thing had soft pops <laughs> yeah. to the max. Yeah. To the max, I'm yeah. Thinking of the exact same thing for sure. <laughs> it took like a million hit points a day, that thing, dude. Right. That was gross. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So you want to look out for that. There's also this disease down there that would be interesting. It's called scale flake. And it's a disease that most often strikes like aquatic or reptilian creatures but anyone who's really swimming or like wading or submerged in tainted water can basically get it it's like the worst form of swimmers that you can ever get uh scale flake manifests itself as swelling oozing smelly posture or pustules 
uh, coating the surface of the afflicted creature's body. So you have little pus-filled pockets all over your body that are just... I can only... like You know, you, you have these things that smell bad anyways when you have pus on your body. Can you just imagine your whole body covered in those things? <laughs> <laughs> oh, disgusting. That's disgusting. Yeah, scale flake would be awful. Yeah, yeah. And I want to... Uh, I'm going to give myself another quick plug here. Uh, so I created four underdark diseases for 5th edition nice. on my blog. Uh, Sweet. So if you're interested in mushroom mind or slug snot, uh, tell us about slug snot. We got to hear about slug snot. <laughs> slug snot sounds like something that came from Harry Potter a little. Give bit. us a, give us a glimpse at the diseases that are on your site. Okay, so mushroom mind, you uh, you inhale mushroom spores and then uh, mushrooms grow in your brain, um, and they slowly I reduce want it. your ability. I scores. want it all. That's so terrible. Uh, Slug snot, um, the way slug snot works is when you're sleeping, there are uh, brown slugs uh, that are in the underdark that can climb into your uh, stomach through your nose. Um, I'm putting corks in my nose, man. I don't even care. <laughs> I'll right. through my mouth. Uh, and so once they, once they get into your stomach, um, essentially they can make you perpetually drunk, uh, <laughs> which is the effect of, of poisoned. Um, so it just dwarfs yeah. every, like every, it's every dwarf's dream. It is. It <laughs> right? is. Yeah. They literally collect these slugs. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> They're trying to, to, to get it in. So, um, uh, and I feel then, like that could be a drug you could create in the Underdark, <laughs> right? too. Slug snot that they sell on the black market. Uh, Snorting yeah, slug snot. Yeah, you in your... <laughs> yeah, you snort. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. That's fantastic. Um, and then there's there's another disease called uh, wasting away, where you, again, you inhale some mold and you age rapidly. So there, the final disease I have is called wiped away. Um, and it's a magical disease. Uh, so underneath the Underdark in my world, there's something called the Void. And, uh, you know, we talked about putting messed up things in the lower dark. Yep. The Void is actually the absence of anything. It is complete okay. nothingness. And so uh, if you spend time close to the Void, you can catch this disease where you uh, slowly disappear. Um, and all of your influences in the world also disappear. So, as it's back to the future disease. I know. That's yeah. what I was just thinking. I was just thinking back to the future. <laughs> I was waiting for an opening to say it. <laughs> um, that's exactly what it is. You slowly forget who you are. People slowly forget who you are. Um, you lose your identity, and eventually you just disappear from existence. Um, you have plenty of time to try to cure it. Uh, so it's not just you automatically get it and you're screwed. Um, but yeah, Kira's finding the flux capacitor. Yeah, well, exactly. Hey, James, well done on blowing the D&D source diseases out of the water with your homebrew ones. Uh, you'll have to go and uh, copy and paste those for your own world. So uh, just a couple last things as far as scary things in, that your players could run into the underdog. I mean, we, Chris mentioned uh, fungus as being something you could eat. Well, once again, be careful of the fungus itself because <laughs> in the Underdark, there's something called fire fungus that's nice because it, it sheds much appreciated warmth in the area that it's in. Great. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Well, if you light a torch around this thing, it will, <laughs> what do you think? It'll explode and kill the fire fungus and also <laughs> possibly kill you. So be careful of the fungus itself. The other thing that's down there, of course, uh, is the impassable obstacles right uh sometimes you're going down a tunnel you hit a wall 
sometimes the abyss, uh, those abysses, right? Jump ahead at you from nowhere. <laughs> that, right, that you can't get across. Um, certain things are passable depending on how high level you are and what yep. spells you have uh, that, uh, you know, you might not be able to pass at lower levels. So it's kind of a great way to, um, like in a video game, if you have a big underdark adventure and you want to lock off an area, yep. uh, you could be like, oh, well, you're not going to be able to get there until you can uh, walk through stone or until you can <laughs> teleport or that kind of thing. Um, so be aware that those impassable objects are there, those underground lakes that are miles wide, those abysses, that kind of thing. Those purple um, worms running away from magma coming down a tunnel and attacking you. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Uh, so. And I think you also got to remember you're in the under dark. Yes. Right. Half of the word is dark. Yep. <laughs> that is also something that you're going to run into a That's problem That's an important with. part. Recognize yeah. it. <laughs> use it the dark is kind of like as a child the dark is scary enough here like can you just imagine like the stories in a DD world that parents tell their kids about the underdark <laughs> that's like oh yeah i can only yeah it would be the dark in and of itself is an obstacle that you have to worry about and the opposite of that light light is also an obstacle unless you have some fungus that illuminates while you're walking around uh, some glowing fungus you're gonna need some way to provide light for yourself. You might have light spells or whatever it is. Why is uh, that an obstacle, are... Chris? Or why is that an obstacle, Chris? Why is that an obstacle? Yeah. The light spell? Because things can go wrong. Right. <laughs> right. Because things because, can go wrong with magic. Because in a world of darkness, a glowing light spell or a torch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. Is yeah. gonna call yeah. down things everything will, things will that hates attention. you. <laughs> it might also be a good thing to have. It could blind yeah, things. Yeah, it that could are scare some things too, off. So, yep. Yeah, it could scare things But at the very off. least, they're gonna know exactly where you are. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And if you run out of torches and you don't have a sorcerer. Sorry, man, you're probably dead. Ever-burning torch. Better have it. Exactly. Yep, yep, there you go. If you don't, just don't <laughs> It would be a bad idea. You know, there is uh, there is one thing that I'm thinking about with all of these dangers, right? As you're building your Underdark, if you're going to put a lot of time and effort into it, make sure you're building some reasons for your players to go down there. Yes. Uh, yes. Because yep. I think basically we just spent the last two hours convincing people... <laughs> Not to go yeah. into the Underdark. <laughs> <laughs> Any players uh, who are listening right now are just like, when my DM says, want to go to the Underdark, I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. exactly. That's why you just are, make them yeah. fall down a hole that kind of turns into a slide that they end up <laughs> in the lower dark and have to make their way up. It's <laughs> a great you adventure. Have to go you have to go on a five-mile yeah. slide down? <laughs> Good Gandhi, that would suck. Uh, <laughs> that's a major butt rash after that. Right. <laughs> Get, yeah, if you're even alive. I mean, it's just got friction from rock you're up against the whole time. Oh, that would suck. <laughs> so that's what talk about the Underdark. We hope that this has made you so exciting to make this crazy Underdark part of your world that's going to scare your players and possibly make a campaign that they can't even survive the terror terrors of <laughs> and we hope that we were able to give you guys some great inspiration into what elements do you want to put into an underdark like area of your world once again we just want to thank you james for joining us uh yeah, it's thank been you. an honor it's been a pleasure we look forward to being able to connect with you in the future and maybe even have you on again to the dungeon master's block well, guys, thank you for having me, and I hope that you'll come over and uh, pop on the Tome Show. 
We would love totally, that. We totally love will. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look for us on there. You're going to have to listen to all the episodes of the Tome Show to figure out <laughs> when we pop in exactly. So <laughs> definitely go and check, or check out the Tome Twitter. Show. We'll let you know there. Uh, check out, uh, James, can you, if they want to get in touch with you, do you have an email to give them? And, and once again, give them, give them that, uh, your site again. So if they want to go and check that out. Sure, yeah, you can find links to all the podcasts, to all the stuff we were talking about. It's worldbuilderblog.me. My Twitter account is uh, linked there, so that's one way you guys can get in touch with me. Uh, and my email is my first name, uh, dot my last name at gmail.com. So it's james.intracasso at gmail.com, um, which, again, go to worldbuilderblog.me and you'll learn how to spell yes. it. So, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Uh, yeah, go check that out. Email James with any uh, underdark stories you have, with any ideas that you're just like, oh, James, I, I have this great idea for the underdark. You can email James. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Um, you can totally. email us. We'll give that to you at the end of the show, as we always do. But for now, James, we're going to say so long and we're going to say see you soon. Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me. No problem. Yeah, man. With that, let's pass it over to DM Neil and DM Main Prize for this week's DMnastics. Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I am DM Main Prize. And I am DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. So for this DMnastics, we tied it back to episode number 32 World Building, Towns and Cities. And there was sadly no guests for this episode. Sadly, we'd love to have guests. So if you're a guest, you should talk to DM Chris and DM Mitch and get on board for more episodes. This DMnastics was number 15, and it was titled Townies. The idea was posted by Friar Took, and basically the gist of it was to work as a unit and collaboratively build a town, similar to what we did in the very first Gods Among Us thread where we collaboratively created a deity. So that was the general idea, was to kind of flesh out a town that we could put into our world or at least get inspiration from. His town description was, the town is built like a wheel, the large radial lanes representing the spokes and a tall stone wall around the outer edge. And there is a gate at each end of the spoke. At the center of the wheel is a pillar, like a natural rock flat top, like a half-scale devil's tower. If you want to Google that image, it's a pretty sweet looking stone structure. At the top of this is a tower. And it was the tower of a sage who hasn't been seen in many generations, but every now and then strange lights will appear in the tower. So that was kind of just like the prompt he gave us to work off of. And all of the people on the forum started jumping in and adding stuff. And it's really interesting to see these kind of things flesh themselves out. One of the ideas that stuck out, I feel like it's an important thing to do if you're going to have a town that's regularly visited by your players is to make it unique. So Almarian Knight mentioned potentially having some magical feat, some feat of engineering, but where the outer wall of the circular town would go clockwise, let's say. Essentially a super unique design for a town especially, and it could be a fantastic defense mechanism or really annoying to your players potentially, but it's an idea that set the town pretty far apart from other ones that I can think of rather than just here's first Avenue, second Avenue and things like that. Definitely an awesome idea. What I contributed was the name of the town. And what I did for it is I went and found some elf dictionaries of fictional elven languages. And so I came up with the name of it, which was Lucina Tyrion, 
which translated into English means glowing tower. But most people just call it Tower Town because the tower is so iconic. Another idea that came from that that I posted onto the forums was kind of playing off of that, the old Elvish namesake, but then really focusing on the idea that it is truly old Elvish namesake and that after so many years and so many generations of people, it's just an absolute cornucopia of a town. And another fun event that Frotastic on the forums mentioned was like a climbing race to scale the cliff face and see who's the fastest. And hopefully the mages of the town will set up a uh, feather falls or things of that nature, but accidents still happen. (laughs) Yes, they do. And accidents can be really funny when they happen to your players. So if you really like that idea and you want to take part in these challenges and get involved in some of the collaborative stuff, that we do on the forums, you know where to find us. And if you don't, Joe Moniac's going to tell you. But before that, I just wanted to make a special Diamnastics announcement. While the guys are taking a break from releasing the normal podcasts out to the masses, that won't stop the weekly Diamnastics forum posts that we've been doing, even though we normally tie those back to an episode. What I've been thinking about and an idea that kind of got kicked around on the forums is to collaboratively build a world for the Dungeon Masters block. And so the next few weeks while they're off, we're going to specifically focus the next gymnastics on doing that. And I'm not sure what that really looks like in the long run. And to be honest, I'm not sure what that really looks like in the short run, short of do it specifically the next few weeks doing very collaborative, specific gymnastics on building out a world for the Dungeon Masters block. And if that sounds super interesting to you, you can head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some gymnastics. So your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. So that's all that we have for you today on this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. Uh, I pray that as you go to sleep tonight, you don't have nightmares <laughs> or whenever you're listening to this because there but are they some terrifying... Will. They probably will. There's terrifying <laughs> things in the Underdark. Let's be real. Well, I'm going to have nightmares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully you don't have, don't walk down some really long stairs or go through some portals that'll send you there because that would be awful. Uh, but the dream world can do that from time to time. So we want to thank James for being on here again. Uh, he, his contact information will be in the show notes as well. So send him any of your ideas or if you have any questions questions about the Underdark stuff, uh, you can you can email him at his email listed below. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. We would love to talk with you about anything and everything Underdark or whatever it is that you want to talk about. You can also leave us a five-star review, help us to continue to grow our database of, of fans and uh, continue to grow the amount of people that you guys can interact with as well. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher if you listen on there. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block and you can also like our facebook page both those places have great dungeon mastering memes and news and all kinds of fantastic stuff we have a patreon member shout out of the week and our patreon member of the week is peter weir yeah Yeah, thanks Thanks, peter Like your name is weird without the d (laughs) peter weir peter weir is a bronze dragon so yes. fear the bronze dragons. Thank fear you very much, bronzer. Peter. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you so much, Peter. <laughs> <laughs>
So we uh, we have one other thing that we want to say before we go. Um, we, As we said last week with the Paladin episode, we are going to be taking a little bit, and I think for both of us a little bit of a much-needed break, uh, to be able to both get caught up, get settled back into fall with work and school. Like, I'm back in grad school, so we're, we're taking the month of September off. Um, and so you won't be getting your usual content Monday mornings. We'll still be active on the forums and everywhere else where you can reach us. But as far as episodes coming out, we want just a little bit of time to get caught up. We will be recording during that time. Yeah, in fact, we will be recording, I think, Chris, more than we normally do. (laughs) Yeah, yep. So we're really trying to buckle down and make sure that we can keep getting you the content at a a consistent pace. So we just need a little bit of a break. So bear with us uh, through that time period. But once October comes back around that first Monday, we will be back and better than ever with more content than you could ever dream of. So... Uh, get ready for that. And uh, while we're on break, don't don't just uh, go quiet. Jump onto our forums at dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and jump into some DMnastics. Those will still be going on. You can revisit old ones that haven't been aired as DMnastics segments yet and get yourself into a future DMnastics. That would be fantastic. So without any further ado, we just want to say thank you for all the great listening that you've done so far. But... We do have to go on a little bit of a break. So thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the players at the table. Have a good break, everybody. We will see you back in October. (laughs) One month, it'll go by faster than you know it. Goodbye.